This is Jocko Podcast number 47 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. And I went a little long with a couple reviews. We've done some interviews. We interviewed JP Dinell, and I got a ton of really solid books that I'm reading. I'm learning a lot from all of them, and just getting a lot out of those books that I'm reading right now about war and about leadership and about human nature and about life, but kind of failed to answer questions for the last few podcasts, questions from the interwebs, from everybody out there that's listening, and the questions have been piling up, so tonight we're going to simply dive into some questions from you all out there. So let's get right to it. Echo Charles. Yes. Question number one. First what question. do you got? Jocko, do you think that most MMA fighters have what it takes to be SEALs? The mental and physical, the brutal weight cut, the brutal fight camp, and stepping into a cage with a trained and elite opponent. Well, th- this is one of those questions where you might think there's like a really definitive answer, mm-hmm. but there isn't really. Some MMA fighters could definitely be great SEALs, for sure. Some of them actually wouldn't stand a chance <laughs> as mm-hmm. SEALs. And there's a lot of things that make people quit and not want to be SEALs or quit during SEAL training. You know, you got the water. Some people don't like the water. Mm-hmm. Some people are uncomfortable in the water. Great athletes, not good in the water. Some people don't like the cold. And they can under, they can take all kinds of punishment of physical nature, but they don't like the cold. Some people don't like heights. Mm-hmm. And you get to the top of a 40 or 50 foot cargo net and you got to climb over that little pole at the top get to the other side some people don't like that mm. some people can't do some simple stuff like memorize mm. you can't memorize certain facts and there's a there is a intellectual level that you have to have some people aren't situationally aware right so some of these like for instance you know you know you have certain MMA fighters who are real wild and it's one of their good characteristics is that they're they're kind of out of control mm. it helps them do wild things and fight unexpected things mm. you can't be like that in the kill house with going live fire right yeah. you can't have that why you need to be able to suppress that and some people can't suppress that so what you'd end up with someone is someone that's going to have safety issues mm. because they they're too instinctual and they can't get those instincts under control some people might have too much endurance but not enough strength. Some people might have too much strength and not enough endurance. Some people are injury prone, right? Some people are just injury prone, and it's not their fault many cases, but they are. And, and then you take, so that's sort of the things that it takes to be in the SEAL teams that would could hold up or trip up somebody that's just a standard MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Now, the same thing is true with, Seals that would be MMA fighters, right? Or or could seal potentially be an MMA fighter? And there's been there's been a few seals that have uh, that have you know that have fought really well and good fighters and all that. But to make a blanket statement, mm-hmm. there's going to be things that trip people up. And for instance, some guys in the seal teams they're, they're not the best athlete. Mm-hmm. Their their athletic ability is not as high as it might need to be to be a true competitor 
mm-hmm. in MMA. You know, whether that's they don't have the explosiveness or they don't have the coordination or the flexibility, there's something that's just going to make them not competitive. And normally those guys, I mean, sometimes they might not be the best SEALs, you know, but some of those guys are super smart. And so the reason that they're good SEALs is because they're just they're just tactically sound and, or they're really good leaders. They're never going to beat people on the range shooting because they're just not that coordinated. They don't have the hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. But they're good SEALs anyways. But th- when you put them in a purely physical competition like MMA, I shouldn't say most, a more physical on physical competition mm-hmm. like MMA, they're not going to do well. And of course, obviously, there's a skill set, right? MMA fighters train MMA all the time. That's what they do. They train jujitsu and boxing and wrestling and Muay Thai and judo. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And SEALs also train all the time. But guess what? When you're in SEAL team, you're not just training just fighting, right? You're training shooting and you're training tactics and you're training patrolling and land navigation and parachuting and combat diving and fast roping and rappelling and waterborne operations, all this stuff. And then on top of all that stuff, which is the stuff that you actually really need to train, then they put on a level of mixed martial arts training to make sure that if you are for whatever reason without a weapon or if you need to handle somebody that doesn't have a weapon and so therefore you might not be in the right to just shoot them and kill them, you gotta be able to handle yourself. So there's some level of MMA training some fundamental jujitsu skills, some fundamental striking skills, some fundamental wrestling skills that that seals get, but it's not at the level of what a real MMA fighter is going to have. Mm-hmm. So, with all that, I think there is a, a a good percentage of MMA fighters that would make it through seal training and be good seals, and there's a good number of seals that would probably make really good solid MMA fighters if they chose to do that and focus their lives on it because there are some common traits with both of them both of them take hard work both of them take some level of physical suffering right grind it both i mean you've been around when we're running mma camps for people it's a grind yeah it's a grind it's a day in day out grind now there's some luxury to that grind Mm -hmm. there's some luxury to that grind because when you're in an MMA camp, yeah, you worked hard as hell from, you know, seven in the morning till nine o'clock doing your strength and conditioning. But then you're going to go home and you're going to get a massage and you're going to get, you're going to uh, have some really good food standing by and you're going to sit down, you're going to relax. And then at 11 o'clock, you're going to go back to the gym and now you're going to do your, your grappling training. And you're going to train really hard for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. You're going to do drills. You're going to get worn out again. And then, then you're going to go eat some lunch, you're going to relax, you're going to go back home, you're going to lay down, maybe take a little ice bath and a little jacuzzi. So there's some luxury mm-hmm. to the MMA. And in the SEAL teams, there's not. That doesn't, <laughs> it's not happening. You're just getting ground down. And when you're going through the basic training and when you're going through you know, the advanced workup training, you're, you're just getting beat down all the time. It's, it's a grind. Uh, but both of them are a grind. And... That's why I think the the work ethic that comes with a really good SEAL or a really good MMA fighter, there's a very strong similarity there. And the ability to take that grind is is what I think that that intrinsic discipline is what would make the crossover occur. So that would make a, a SEAL into a good MMA fighter or an MMA fighter into a, a good SEAL or a good special operations guy. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, the crossover, it's ultimately just like you said, it's kind of hard to I- identify it overall this real general because like an mma fighter is training sure he's training to be a better mma fighter in general but 
mainly he's training for an event. So he knows, okay, it's going to be this many rounds. It's mm-hmm. going to be this long per round. I'm going to get this yep. much rest for this round. And I'm training to win that. Yep. Real specific. So the training is, if it's good training, it's going to best train him to function in that event. In that given the parameters. Yeah. Yep. Combat. Maybe we still not like that. <laughs> You're straight up training. And you know, a great example of this is Tim Kennedy, right? Tim Kennedy's yeah. a, a Green Beret, Special Forces guy, and he's a complete beast, you know, and he's a great example of a guy that has the commitment, the discipline, the dedication to be a, a Special Forces guy, and that translates right into how he works out and trains for fights. Yeah. I mean, that guy trains like a madman for fights. Yeah. And I think that's a a great example of somebody not only can do one or the other, he does both. Yep. You know, real yeah. time. He's in it. He's fighting November 15th, right, against Rashad Evans. So good on yeah. him. And I actually had like another follow-on question to this, which is in the same arena. Who would win? Yeah, who would win? <laughs> who would win in a fight between a UFC fighter and a SEAL team member? And I'll just go ahead and broaden that out to make it like, you know, a special operations guy because people put special operations personnel onto a pedestal of, you know, totally being able to kick everyone's ass, which is, well, for, to, this, to answer the question in its simplest form, if, the, if there was a fight and it's mixed martial arts competition so like in a cage what you were just talking about with a referee and that's the way it's going to be and there's five minute rounds and there's five five minute rounds and we're going to see who's going to win this fight barring a massive weight difference Uh, and and uh, a rare special operations guy that has a high level of training if you take a 175 pound special operations guy that just trained like a normal special operations guy has doesn't have any specialties. We're not talking Tim Kennedy. We're not yeah. talking any of these guys that actually are committed and getting into it and train outside the actual discipline of their job. If it's just a normal run of the mill guy from the special operations community against a professional UFC fighter in the same weight class, it's the UFC fighter is going to win. Yeah. That's those are the facts mm-hmm. and. Um, Again, that's an occasion, and I know this because you know what I've trained with a lot of really high-level UFC fighters, and I mean I've trained with with Randy and Tito, and I've trained with Brandon Vera, and with Quentin Rampage Jackson, and I've trained with Dan Henderson, and as a matter of fact, I've trained with Bisping too. So I've trained with a lot of these guys. You know, none of them at, at a, a like all the time. Although Brandon Vera and I used to train together all the time, but and he's awesome. Um, but I train with those guys, you know, I train with those guys and you know, not to mention Dean, Dean Lister, I've been training with forever. So I've trained and when I train with those guys, a majority of the time I would train grappling specific. So we wouldn't be just doing straight MMA. So we're training in an, in an arena that's geared towards me, you know, some, somewhere that I'm actually good at, right? I've been training jujitsu for 20 years. Mm. And so when I go in the cage with those guys, or when I've trained with those guys, I'm competitive with them, you know? So, you know, we, we have good training, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, it's not like, yeah, we, we have good training. It's good competitive training with all those guys. Mm-hmm. But I've been training this stuff for a long time. So 
my magical special operations powers they yeah. i know what they are and they're not real yeah. um you're gonna you have to learn how to fight to be able to hang with these guys and if you don't know how to train if i put you know because i when i train with a regular you know guy a seal that doesn't train of course you it's jujitsu you yeah. freaking destroy them they have no chance so when if you take a guy that's just a normal guy that doesn't train, they're going to get their ass beat just like any other. You get no magical powers. Will you yeah. be tough? Sure. Will it, you know? And this is good. Like you know, you take your average seal and you start teaching them jujitsu. They're great training partners because they're strong. They have great endurance. They go freaking hard. Yeah, they they don't win. quit. They don't give up. They'll keep training with you until they don't tap easy. So yeah, they're great training partners. And the more you teach them, the better they're going to get, and they're going to learn quickly because they're going to be focused on it. So that's all good. But the fact of the matter is, you take a skilled, and and I you know you take a skilled UFC fighter, and it doesn't matter that you were a quote unquote, you know, Navy SEAL or special operations guy. That's that's just not going to happen. So now the the other kind of thing on this is, if you take both people now out of the cage, and you put them into a survival type situation now the the special operations person is going to have a much better chance mm. because they're first of all they're going to be able to they're going to try and avoid the bad situation if they can and if they do have to fight they are much more likely to use some kind of a improvised weapon to do some <laughs> kind of sneak attack to have backup right in the form of other guys that you didn't realize were with him and all of a sudden you're getting hit in the head with a bottle it's the professional fighter of course has a huge advantage but there will be there is some when you get out of the cage and there's no referee there's there's some things that you know your average special operations guy is going to be thinking about mm -hmm. that your normal person wouldn't be thinking about in these situations um so you know that's why I said you know just in general first of all don't get any street fights it's not smart doesn't get you anywhere it, it, and you see guys that are in the military just in general they, they kind of have another little level that they might take things to, <laughs> right? And that's, that's you know, you think you're getting a little fist fight, right? Mm -hmm. You think, oh, I'm in a bar, I'm just getting a little fist fight with this person. The next thing you know, someone's biting off your nose, <laughs> right? Or someone's ripping off your ear or someone's sticking a fork in your eye because that's the kind of thing, like, right. that's the kind of thing that you take one of these people who's trained and that has a little switch in their head that they go oh i'm in a i'm in a combat scenario right now where yeah. this guy's attacking me Combats. and i'm going to chew off his i'm going to chew off his nose or i'm going to rip off his ear or i'm going to gouge out his eyes i'm going to do it right now as fast as i can so yeah. that's why you know just you got to use caution and i got actually one of my one of my buddies back in the day sure there was we were in a bar and some guy was getting cocky and said something to a girl. And, you know, he knew the girl and blah, blah, blah. And there was whatever situation. So my buddy's like, hey, hey, can you go ahead and apologize to that girl? You know, because that wasn't cool. He said it all nice. Like yeah, that. like just all nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy's, you know, what? And he says, hey, no, no problem. I just, you said something to the girl over there. You see her? Yeah. With the, with the red shirt on. Yeah. You said something to her and it was kind of offensive. So if you could just go, you know, apologize to her, then, you know, we're all good here. And, and it, he's, what, what do you mean? We're all good. <laughs> no, I mean, if you can just apologize to her, then we're all good. And, you know, the guy says something like, you know, what are you going to do about? And as he's finishing <laughs> those words, yeah. the guy was smoking a cigarette as he's finishing those words. 
my buddy in a millisecond, in a nanosecond, like faster than you can snap your fingers. He snatches the cigarette out of the guy's mouth and shoves it with absolute laser target precision up the guy's nose. A burning cigarette. So this dude just, and he put it, he put it in there deep. I don't even know how he did it. Like a ninja move. Bam! It's up there. The dude collapses. I mean, can you imagine? You know, I mean, you've seen people like put a cigarette out on their arm or whatever. It leaves a scar for the rest of their life. He shoved the cigarette, the burning cigarette, up the guy's nose. The guy collapses to the ground and just like screaming and, I mean, just completely defenseless. So that's the kind of thing. Maybe that guy was a tough guy. Maybe that guy was thinking, oh, I'm a boxer or... Whatever this guy might have been I don't even know because the fight was over before it even started because the guy had a burning cigarette Jammed up in his nasal cavity yeah. in a split second fights over so that's the kind of thing That let's be friends with each other. Let's just try and treat each other with respect out there So we're not getting into fights Because yeah. um, I got a bunch of stories like that and they don't end well, you know, yeah. they don't end well and Yeah, that's kind of like um like special operations guys that's kind of and uh, uh, i'm not uh, the guy that you're talking about is not a special operations guy right that's the, just that was just the guy that did the cigarette the, up the nose yeah. oh no he's a seal oh okay. yeah he, and this was oh. this was years ago okay um many many years ago and yeah he did it just like that and that's okay. the kind of thing like again the guy that he's talking to thinks he's a tough guy yeah thinks oh i'm a tough guy who yeah. what's this what's this little you know guy talking to me talking smack telling me to apologize i don't have to apologize right. to anybody and this was also pre MMA days, but you know, maybe the guy's a boxer, maybe the guy's a wrestler. He may yeah. might be a tough guy. But I guess apparently, when you get a burning cigarette shoved up your nose, you're not tough anymore. It just goes yeah. over like that. Yeah, even I mean, even better than as an example is where. First off, if the guy, you know how how you said he's saying it all calm, like hey, just go and apologize. Yeah, totally. That would have made me nervous yeah, right there. Like oh, this guy's too anyway. But that's the side thing. So, um, like yeah, so a special operations guy. Um, compared to an MMA guy, he's he's about every. He's thinking beyond the fight. Mm-hmm. He's thinking straight up. This is a battle. So how can I win this war? Mm-hmm. You know, MMA fighter is thinking like, when we fight, yeah, how am I gonna beat you up with all my skills? And yep. he will. Yep. Typically, he will. Yeah. Unless you have equal or better skills, you're gonna mm-hmm. get beat up. You're gonna get in beat a up. fight. Yeah. So, but the tactic, like the other guy, he's thinking tactical. He's thinking, okay, you mm-hmm. know, he'll probably. And according to the guys that I hang around with, when they walk in a room, just like a jujitsu guy, when you when you when a, a person is presented to you, you're thinking jujitsu already. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, from here, a solid takedown yeah. would, would come. A special really operations right guy here. is thinking, I can stick my pen in this guy's eye real pen, quick. Pen, there's the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, you know let's, say, let's say other guys just came in. Okay, so I got five guys. He has like eight. Before any fight, no fight, no nothing. This is just the way, you know, the way yeah. that kind of the mind works. And then, so yeah, if, and he's planning, like the, your guy, he had that plan already. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like he was like, oh, I'm just going to attack. And that just no. kind of came about in, in, during the process of the attack. He knew like, okay, he has a cigarette. That's part of my plan, my mm-hmm. tactic, you know. Um, so, yeah, when you go outside that's, of that's just amazing, the fight. though, too. Like, you think about, you, you, you know, the Applegate, Rex Applegate, the whole idea of, of self-defense being gross motor movements instead mm-hmm. of fine motor movements. So, if you ever look at some of the old school... Um, unarmed combat from the military 
it's all based on this idea that when you get in a fight, you want to do these big gross motor skills. In other mm-hmm. words, just giant movements yeah. with your fist and with your legs. So there's no really fine motor skills because when your adrenaline's pumping and you're in this fight, you're going to make little mistakes. Mm-hmm. Imagine the fine motor skills it takes to <laughs> grab a cigarette and shove it up someone's nose in a split second. I know, man. Yeah. You know, there's another story, and I don't know why Tim uh, Tim Kennedy and I, we talked about it before we came on the podcast, mm-hmm. and we, I, we didn't get to it. Maybe we'll talk about it next time because we reviewed the whole story. And it's a great story. Uh, as you know, he trained at the pit in mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo for a while, mm-hmm. and SEALs used to do training up there. And one night, and all the guys that trained with Tim at the time, um, they all used to work as bouncers. And these guys are pro. You, uh, I want to say, I, I, I wish I could remember the names of the crew, but it's basically the old school San Luis Obispo pit crew, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm going to say Dan McGee, Tim Kennedy, Chuck Liddell, that crew, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys, before you know the UFC was big, those guys all worked as bouncers mm-hmm. in San Luis Obispo. So some SEALs were doing some training up in the area. They went out in town, got into a fight, and they the, the guys got their ass, the SEALs got their ass kicked yeah. pretty much by... And and it was you know Tim and I were laughing about it because again, this is before the UFC was really popular and they got into a fight and of course not only is it a bunch of UFC or at least high level MMA guys that are working as bouncers so they're sober, fighting against a bunch of drunk team guys. I know, man. and it was funny because I they said man you know because these seals got their asses kicked and they're kind of like came back like oh man I don't know these bouncers were tough no. and then I go where, where, where was it and they're like San Luis Obispo and then somehow through the grapevine through the MMA grapevine there somebody told me back hey Jocko those guys that got it was these guys it was guys from the pit yeah and uh I was like oh okay well. I know that story by the way because a guy he was a new guy he was yeah I'm not gonna say his name I think he's still in so yeah. I'm gonna say his name but he met him through the cake nuts you know they come by and all the that's how I met JP kind of the same way yep. but um and, but he would always come in the club that I worked at. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of became friends, you know. So mm-hmm. after we're done, we're eating at the same spot. Yep. And he's like, yeah, man, for Chuck Liddell beat me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like we are you know, beat him yeah. down. But we got in a fight and Chuck Liddell beat me up. Yep. You know, like yep. hit him and, and knocked yeah. him down. And, and I actually, I, yeah, that's what happened. So yeah. that was a classic example. And by the way, you know, I'll say something about while we're talking about Chuck Liddell. Uh, Chuck when Chuck's always been like awesome to vets, especially wounded vets. So Chuck Liddell, hey, if he, if he's bouncing at a bar and you're a vet and you get out of line, you're gonna get you're gonna get put down. But yeah. if you're a if you're a warrior, um, that always impressed me about Chuck was he, he did some great stuff for the for the troops that have been wounded overseas. And that always gave me a lot of respect for him, you know. Even more respect than I have for him as being a great fighter. But anyways, that kinda answers the question um and so my overall broad guidance here is train hard to do battle but do your battles in the gym not in the street (laughs) yeah it's only going to get you either put in jail or put in the hospital or both so yeah remember this guy we trained with got his ear bit off remember uh yeah igor yeah yeah was he a navy seal or is he yeah he, he he got out yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. He got into a street fight. Yeah. He knew jujitsu. He knew jujitsu. <laughs> and I mean, he 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 kicked the guy's ass, right? Yeah, yeah. He actually, I think he Muay Thai clinched him, put him down on the ground, got cross side. Yeah. Was kind of putting the putting the beat down on this guy, yeah. and the dude just bit, bit big chunk ear. of his ear. He bit a chunk of his ear out. I know. Man. Bigger than the chunk that 
Um, bigger like, than the chunk that Mike Tyson like did out. I mean, he was a big chunk. I mean, he's yeah. his ear is clearly has a bite taken out of it. Like if you took a bite, a big, nice, solid bite out of a piece of pizza, <laughs> that's what his ear looks like. I know, man. And you know, oh, cool, you won the fight. Yeah. And, but you have no ear left, so that's a bummer. And that's another thing. That's another point to that mm-hmm. is that sometimes these self defense type people think that you know oh well i'll gouge your eyes out and that's the indication that i just kind of gave too that hey the navy seal might do something tricky to you well the bottom line is that stuff is a lot of times doesn't work and that's a perfect case the guy bit his ear off and thinks oh the guy's gonna give up no No. he's not giving up he beat that means he went even harder like that means oh now you got a guy across the side that's about to ruin your shoulder for the rest of your life with the camera and then put you to sleep and it's just a bad situation so you can't just another thing about those those thinking that you don't need to train because you're going to do a ninja move or you're going to shove a cigarette up some guy's nose. No wrong answer. (laughs) Or you're going to bite their ear off or you're going to No, that's not, it's not true. You need to train so that you can get in those positions and that you won't lose these fights. And also you need to train so that you don't have to get in fights because most of the time when you're getting in fights, because your ego is getting out of control and you can't, you can't, Handle it in your little brain. You get all yeah. get all insecure about who you are as a man. So you think I'm gonna kick this guy's ass, yeah. and then you're either getting your ass kicked, you're getting put in the hospital, or you're going to jail, or you got a big lawsuit against you. Yeah. So be smart. Yeah, that's rough. Hey, remember in Bloodsport when he was like, you know, mm. the coin. You watch Blood. Remember Blood? The the guy with the coin, and he's like, hey, you know, whatever. I'm gonna if I can grab it. Before you close your hand, and the girl had something to do with it, and he's like, <laughs> he grabs it, he closes the hand, he's like, ah, you know, I still feel the coin in my hand, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He looks, he switched the coin. That's kind of what your friend did with a cigarette when he shoved it in the guy's sinus cavity, because mm. it's like super fast, you know, yeah. and but precise. But you can't count on that move. <laughs> That's my point. Yep. All right, kicking it off. Let's go to question number two. Shoo. Jocko, what if I don't have time to explain the why to my troops for a decision I'm I'm making during an operation? U.S. Army First Lieutenant. So, <clears throat> awesome. Thanks for your service, U.S. Army First Lieutenant. Get some. And I, I talk about troops and people in general n- never wanting a, pa- a plan to be imposed upon them and so that's that's what this question is kind of based around because i'm saying look you know you don't want to just force people to do some plan you want to say hey what do you think you should do and mm-hmm. hey here's here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it this is why it's important and that mm-hmm. gets people to take ownership of it and therefore they do a better job so he must have heard me say that and now he's saying look sometimes i ain't got time to be, <laughs> to be explaining the why when we're getting this going on and that's why this idea of explaining the why is true 99 percent of the time in an administrative situation, in a mm. situation where things are under control and we've got time to think about what's happening, that's when you can go and say, hey, what's your, what's your, you know, what do you think, how do you think we should do this? Mm. This is why I want to accomplish this. This is the commander's intent. You can do all that stuff. And that makes sense, again, in a administrative situation. When there's chaos and when there's mayhem and when there's uncertainty, actually the opposite is true you actually want your troops to you they they want they want to see and hear clear directives from you they they want to know what they should do in no uncertain terms and it's 
you can think of situations where if you've seen, let's say, a car accident, mm-hmm. right? And you see people that are kind of frazzled. If someone steps up into that situation, no one's doing anything that they're supposed to be doing. If yeah. someone steps up and says, you too, start dragging that person over there. You, go call 911. They actually teach that. You know, when, you, when you're learning about how to handle uh, traumatic situations, mm-hmm. somebody needs to step up, step back, take charge of the situation. Everybody wants that to happen. And mm-hmm. that's true in a combat scenario. Again, this is different from when we're in the rear and we're, we're formulating a plan and we're safely going over whatever ideas we have and that's when you want to get impa- input and feedback and you let your subordinate leadership come up with a plan. That's all good. But that's not true during a, like I said, during a pressure situation when there's a critical scenario unfolding, people want to be led. Now, when you lead them, in those situations, you can still give orders by commander's intent. You can still just give intent. Mm-hmm. So an example of that, and I actually wrote my example down. You can say, like, Delta 1-6, we need high ground on the other side of that road. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. So then the Delta 1-6 commander goes, oh, okay, I need high ground on the other side of the road. There's a good building. Mm-hmm. Looks like that's the one we could take. Hey, you know, squad, come with me. And they go over and take down the building. Yeah. I gave them a, a, still gave them commander's intent. I gave them very clear commander's intent. I didn't really tell him why. I didn't say, hey, what do you think would be best? Do you think it's a good idea to get high ground? No. Mm-hmm. I said, go get high ground on the other side of the street. That's what I told him to do. So I'm going to let them figure out. They understand what the intent is. You could say something a little bit more specific. You could give them an actual an actual directive. You could say, Charlie 1-6, take two squads, assault building 34 on the other side of the road, get high ground on the rooftop, go. Now we have something that's more specific. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not commander's intent. It's directly I'm telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people are going to want that. They're going to want to hear exactly what to do in these pressure situations. So depending on the level of experience that your subordinate leadership has depends on maybe how specific you're going to get with just giving commander's intent versus giving something very specific to do. Both of those are the right answers. Mm. If you have a good, really good leader underneath you and you can just give them the intent and you can let them come up with a plan, cool, go with that. If you got somebody that needs a little more guidance, give them a little bit more specific guidance. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, one part of that is you got to have trust. You got to have trust with the with the subordinate leadership with, that you're working with, whether that's you working with your whole platoon, and you just got to trust your your squad leaders and your your fire team leaders. But you got to build that trust through through training and through hard training, through coaching them and mentoring. And, and again, I hate using the word coaching and mentoring because that always gives an air of superiority, mm. and I'm not gonna want to come off across as superior to other people. Mm-hmm. Why do I not want to come off as superior to other people? Well, number one, because it it unifies our team more. And number two, because I'm not superior to other people, mm. right? I'm another person. And my subordinates, even though they might not have as much time and rank or experience as me, they still might have great ideas. And I respect that. So this isn't a, hey, I don't want to use coach or mentor because I'm manipulating them. And I, I want to make sure that they that they listen to me because I'm being a certain way with them. No, no. I legitimately respect what they're saying that's the difference here so but that's but my goal is to build trust and the other way that you build trust and i've said this before is by giving trust you know hey i trust that you can do this hey echo you're gonna go take down the building i trust your plan come up with it and make it happen boom you could do it you trust me more when i trust you you trust me and that's what we want to do now when the operation is over 
and and now you're in a post-operational debrief, then you can discuss why you gave a certain order or you can get feedback from them on why they executed a certain way and you can get the questions going back and forth and through that little question and answer period that takes place during a post-operational debrief, we get to know each other more, we build more trust, and we become better as a team. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. You don't always have time to explain why. Pressure situations, you lead. Yeah. Yeah, that trust thing is big. big. Next question. Next question. I like it. What do we got? What advice do you have for those who have weak, poor, or otherwise ineffective leaders? How do you manipulate that situation? Mm -hmm. So, again, I I think I may have actually answered this question before. Mm -hmm. But I'll answer it again. Sure. When, When you are in a situation like this, when you got somebody that's weak, or ineffective leader or a poor leader the answer is always the same what you do is you lead <laughs> you lead yourself and I hope people that listen to the podcast on the regular you all knew what I was gonna say there you all know that when someone is not leading you then you lead them you pick up the slack for the weakness my leaders want to come up with a plan cool I will my leader doesn't want to give a brief, that's fine, I will. My leader doesn't want to mentor the younger troops, that's okay, I will do it. Leader doesn't want to take the blame when something goes wrong, that's fine with me, I'm gonna take the blame. And you think about that one, that one can be tricky mm-hmm. because you think, well, I'm gonna look bad in front of the, in front of the more senior boss. Mm-hmm. Now think about it from the senior boss's position. If if you work for me, Echo, and the boss comes in and we the, the mission was a failure, and I'm the and I'm the guy that's in charge, and I say, sorry, boss, we failed. It was Echo's fault. And Echo goes, Hey, sir, it was my fault. Here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Here's the mistakes I made, and here's what I'm gonna do to fix it next time. Who do you respect more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm looking to promote you. Yeah. I actually want to promote you, and I want to fire myself <laughs> for being a guy that's passing the buck and passing yeah. the responsibility and not taking ownership of anything. So imagine what that looks like before you get all intimidated by taking the blame for something and think you're gonna look bad and think you're gonna get fired Think about what it looks like from the senior perspective and you actually have to imagine what it will look like underneath you mm-hmm. You have to see it from your perspective because it's even when you think about their perspective You still can be in fear of it. You think oh, I'm the guy that's taking the blame. I'm the one that's gonna get fired mm-hmm. No And and am I saying this like blanket? That there's sometimes where if, if the boss screws something up really bad, like let's say it was something like classified information got left out. Mm. And it was your boss that literally left it out. And you go, no, it was me. Well, not, first of all, you're not telling the truth. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you're not telling the truth and the person made a mistake That's that there's no excuse for. Yeah. So that's not a situation that I'm talking about. And if your boss was the type of person that said, yes, I'm gonna put the blame on him, I would burn them alive. <laughs> I'd be like, actually, here's what really happened. Yeah. So I'm not talking about that type of situation, but when you're doing an operational thing where there's mistakes that get made and your boss is scared to take ownership of them, take ownership of them. Mm-hmm. Not that, it, you will win in the long run. Um, now, now, here's the part that is 
crucial and critical and the most challenging part of this. And that is when you step up and lead, you want to make sure you aren't stepping up and stepping on your leader. You don't want to step into their little spotlight. You don't want to impose yourself in their leadership limelight and glory. You don't want to do that. You, you, you can't do that. You want them to get the credit. You don't want to have them be intimidated by you in any way. And this is hard because when you start taking ownership for stuff, it's very, it can be very um, intimidating for the person that's above you because they think, dang, this guy, just he's just a bold bastard that's stepping up and taking charge of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And they might get intimidated at that. So, so what you have to do is you have to do some, some indirect maneuver warfare here and for instance if they don't want to if they don't want to come up with a plan maybe you start saying hey sir what do you think of this would this be a good plan Mm -hmm. and maybe if you're if they're not mentoring the younger guys maybe say hey you know what I want to do this up I want to spend some time with the guys after work do you mind if I have a little session with them kind of go over what we learned on last deployment Mm -hmm. or hey about this new regulatory thing that's come out in the business world and I want to get our younger troops to know it do you mind if I teach a class on that so you're you're asking them permission and, and you might even say you know hey I think it would look really good for you too if we were doing this mm-hmm. so you want to make them look good um, and those are the ways that you do uh, that you step up and lead but make sure you're not stepping on your leader because mm-hmm. that, that that could backfire and you could end up in a situation where they feel intimidated and you're getting put in the doghouse or fired or demoted or in trouble because they feel intimidated by you. So use caution. If you have a good leader, some leaders just aren't that aggressive. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting aggressive, they start, they actually like the fact that you're getting aggressive. And they like, I mean, I work for some people that love the fact that I would t- step up and take charge. They had no problem with it because they were good, confident leaders. It's the insecure leader you have to watch out for. Mm. The insecure leader that's worried about looking bad. Mm. And that's another, to, to change perspective again on this, when you as a leader have somebody that's stepping up and taking charge, ask and you start feeling intimidated by it, ask mm-hmm. yourself why. It's probably your ego. You're being a weak leader by being intimidated by your subordinates. If your subordinate is doing your job and doing it better than you, let get, step up and start looking. How can you go up the chain of command? How can you look up and out? How What other areas can you focus on since that leader has stepped up and is making things happen? That's awesome. That is awesome. We want that. Mm-hmm. That's decentralized command. That's building other leaders underneath you, which is what your goal as a leader should always be. And I'll tell you, every time I see someone that goes, oh, I got a weak leader, I'm always like, lucky you. Yeah, yeah. Lucky you. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of it. Do whatever you want. Yeah. So you have such a not good opportunity when you have a weak leader above you. Don't look at that. Don't don't get all downtrodden because, <laughs> man, my leader just doesn't motivate you. Awesome. Yeah. Motivate yourself. Get, char- get in charge of things. Take advantage of it. Make things happen. It's awesome to have a weak leader. I love it. Get after it. Yeah. It's going to give me so much mobility in my in my in my job, right? I'm so much more mobility than if I've got someone, hey, if I got someone that's a strong leader, that's great too. Right. But weak leader's no factor. Mm. I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, I feel like you you 
Yes, I if, would. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you got a weak leader and, you, and you're kind of, um, you're not stepping up. You're essentially allowing the, the group, the team, totally. the objectives to f- kind of fail in Absolutely. a way. You're, you're kind of allowing it. And then in a way too, depends on what you do, but in a way you're kind of be, being like, hey, all right. You're allowing the excuse to be valid, you know, mm-hmm. where which kind of makes it invalid, really, when you're like, hey, I could step up, but hey, it's the leader's fault, as long as it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, the, my leader's not that good. You know? It's, you're really not taking much ownership if yeah. you just point your finger at your leader and say, this is a weak leader. Yeah. That's not what we do here. Not what we do at all. Yeah. And the times where I've had weak leaders, I, I always took advantage of it. Like I said, one time, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, we fired our leader. You know, we had a little mutiny. That only happened once for me, but yeah. it happens. That I mean, I, I obviously I don't know the all the details of that, but in a way, isn't that you just stepping up and making it happen? I mean, well, if yeah. that's really the yeah. the, the, the impending result, like dang, that's that's kind of where we're gonna arrive at. Really, Basically. given yeah. us stepping up, if if that's how it goes down, that's how it goes down. But you stepped up, you solved the problem. If there's a problem, and that was a problem, there's your solution right yes. there. Yes, up and down the chain of command. You got to own it yep. for sure. Dang. All right. Jocko. Next question. Jocko, hmm. did you do anything ritualistically to get yourself mentally prepared, focused, and in the proper mindset? So just before carrying out a mission such as self-talk, music, or other actions, you know, get yourself revved up pre-operation preparedness for the mental state so people ask this and it's and it actually sounds like a pretty cool question right Mm -hmm. I mean it sounds like a pretty cool question I'm sure people wonder that Um, it's a lot of times because you think seals and soldiers and Marines must have some kind of deep an incredibly meaningful borderline religious ceremony that they go to and through in order to prepare their mind for combat. Maybe it's a maybe it's a meditation on the warrior code. Or maybe it's an aggressive song to peak your adrenaline. Maybe it's a, a breathing exercise. We got a special breathing exercise that's going to heighten my mental awareness. And there's even seals, and I, I use that term loosely, that have written books on that subject of you know this this warrior mindset and the the Navy Seal breathing techniques and the the visualization and things like that. No. I, I hate to spoil the romantic vision of the mindful warrior poet, but that actually, that, that idea just, it is not what happens. And here's the reality. Um, first and foremost, when you are in combat and you're preparing for an operation, you are freaking busy. You are busy. You are planning. You're doing coordination. You're doing gear prep. You're doing briefings. You're making all these adjustments and changes to everything that's happening. You don't, we are scrambling around. I was talking to Leif the other day and, and there was a, most of the time, if we were going on, a, on 
in the field on an operation, we wouldn't be sleeping for 24 hours before we went in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we'd get two or three hours, but it was a sleep deprivation before we went in the field because of all the planning and preparation that needed to be done, mm-hmm. especially on the big operations with battalion-sized or, or brigade-sized operations. There's so much planning and preparation that needs to be done that you don't have, you, you're not just, you're not just sitting around figuring out what kind of mental prep you're going to do. There's just last minute detail. There's a phone call you got to place to higher headquarters. There's a, a, a deconfiscation document that you got to prepare. You got to, you got to get stuff done. So taking some, some kind of meditative moment to get in the right mindset. It's just not happening. You just don't have the time for it. Now, that being said, mindset, it, it is a part of combat, right? And so how did I get in the right mission mindset? Well, the mindset is not achieved in the minutes or even hours before an operation from, you know, chanting a mantra or breathing or meditation or listening to some song that's going to get you in touch with your warrior spirit. The, the mindset is achieved in the, the weeks and the months and the years before that specific operation commences. That's another thing. The, the, the idea from that actually I was raised on in the 90s in the SEAL teams was like, you were going to do a mission. Mm. We used to joke about it and call it the big mish. Right, the big mission was going to come. It was going to be one mission, mm. right? And you could get, hey, we're going to plan for it. We're going to plan for it for weeks, maybe even months, and we're going to be able to visualize everything, and we're going to have all this time. The reality is, overseas, you know, since the war started, man, you're doing an operation every night. You're going out. You got another one. You come back. You're planning for that one, and, and, and when that one gets canceled for whatever reason, there's two more that you're planning for, and you're running out to grab intelligence. And you're meeting with somebody else. It's just constantly ongoing. So we weren't ever preparing for one mission. We were planning. We were preparing for mission after mission we'd have five six seven ten we'd have ten operations in the hopper at any given time that we're planning and preparing for we're gathering intelligence for we're setting up we're doing route studies for four or five different operations at one time then finally one rises the occasion boom we're going to go hit that one the next night another one's up the top we're going to go hit that one so again this idea that i think came from the 90s of hey we're going to do the big mish yeah. And we're going to have to get in the mental mindset. No, we lived in the mental mindset. But that mindset came from the training that we went through, the grueling training, through the repetition of the fundamental skill sets. It, the mindset comes from the discipline, from waking up early, from studying tactics, from understanding the enemy, from all those unmitigated daily disciplines that's where the mindset comes with it comes from and I'll tell you on top of that on top of that you have to come to grip with some pretty horrific potential outcomes right you have to accept some solemn possibilities like that you might be severely wounded or that you might be killed And you also have to think that about the guys, your your friends. Mm. That is another possibility that you have to think about. But for yourself, you, you have to accept 
that possibility. You have to accept that potential outcome that you could die and you have to accept that. Now, you, you don't want it. Of course, you want to live, but you have to accept the fact that in the game, the game of combat, you could very well die. And I knew that. And I was okay with it. But but I had come to that conclusion a long time before whatever operation I was getting to roll out on one particular night during a, a six-month-long deployment. So the mindset is built over time. And like knowledge that you have, it, the mindset, it becomes so ingrained. That knowledge becomes so ingrained that you don't have to cram for it. Like you'd cram for a final exam. You don't have to cram for the test of combat in the last minute. You already know. Mm. You already have the confidence. You know you've done everything possible to prepare mentally, to prepare physically, to prepare emotionally. And then when the call comes and you put on your camis and you fill up your canteens and you put on your helmet and you lock down your night vision you lock and load your weapon to roll out the gate. You're ready. You ever seen the movie Gone in 60 Seconds? Remember no. That movie? I've seen <laughs> yeah, no yeah. movies that you've seen. <laughs> Bruh, no, that's not true. There's a part where they're about they're, they're carjackers, mm-hmm. a team of car thieves. Mm-hmm. They got to do this mission to save the brother. Mm-hmm. You know? They're all retired, that's why. So, but they got to do, you know, this one last mission. Mm-hmm. So be, the big mesh. The big mesh, yeah, exactly. So they go through a thing, getting in a mindset drill. Yeah. So check it out. Imagine if in the movie they were doing that mission every single night. Yeah. Eventually yeah. they're not going through that drill every night because they know they've prepared, they know they got their mind right, and they're going to go out and execute the operation. That's the difference. Or maybe they would do it every night. This is what they do. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> they put on Lowrider, you know the song? Mm hmm. Then they just kind of listen to it, and then they go. Super subtle. Yeah. Maybe check it out. Yeah. You know, some guys, you know, crank up a song. You know, we had speakers. We actually yeah. had speakers outside. Sometimes the guys would be blasting some music, but it was yeah. no, like, ritualistic thing where we all sat there, closed our eyes, and listened to the same song mm-hmm. at the same time. Me- yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. And you know what? I was, you know, I was either what, my two combat deployments. Mm. I was a platoon commander. I was a task unit commander. So. I was busy, you know. I was all that planning stuff that I'm talking about was was me. If I was going out, if yeah. I wasn't going out, then I wasn't doing anything ritualistically to get ready to go out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're busy. People yeah. don't understand how busy you are in combat. Not just while you're on the battlefield, but when you're back in the rear, uh, preparing to go or preparing or planning for operations. Yeah, I would imagine some people, you know, because even the small. I mean, really, how deep, how far you want to stretch the word like ritual, right? So the I'm sure some people would, right? Maybe yeah, like, like I said, get like a lucky thing or I don't hey, know. Hey, people no. carried lots. Now you're getting in a different realm here. You're yeah, talking yeah. about superstition. Well, and what, you're also I'll, talking about, so I had certain patterns that I followed, right? Yeah. But those patterns were not for my mental state. They were to be prepared. Right, right, it's right. Kind yeah, of, the, you know, I've talked about how, how I had a cot filled with my gear and yeah, when I yeah. put all that gear on, I was ready, yep. right? That's, 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 and I put the gear on the same way every time because you're mm-hmm. going through a process and a procedure so that you yeah. make sure you get everything right. Even when I'm coming to record the podcast, yeah. I do the same thing every time. Yeah. I, I get this ready, I get that ready, I print the stuff out, I, you know, 
I bring the same pens, the same stupid pens. I bring them all the time because I have a pattern that I go through so that I'm ready for what we're going to do. That's a standard operating procedure to be ready for the operation. Whether it gets me in a mental state, yeah, I guess it does get you a little mental state. And technically, that is a ritual. Well, then then I guess I'm busted. No, 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 no. You're the man, of course. For sure, you're not busted. No, I think I I am busted because that is definitely a a ritualistic thing to go through. And... If I talk about uh, being in combat, sure, we, you're getting your gear on, you're zero out, you know, you're you're programming your radio, you're getting a radio check. There's, but again, I, the reason uh, it doesn't really hit me as a ritualistic thing because those are those are standard procedures that you're going to prepare for the mission. Right. You're not; they're physical things that have to be done. Yeah. They're not for mental preparation. Now, does your mind? know what's coming yes and i'll tell you a classic example is when you put down your night vision which for those of you who don't understand this you have a helmet on and you have night vision on it 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 can flip up where mm-hmm. you're just looking through your regular eyes mm-hmm. but then when you black out the vehicles and you flip your night vision down you're in a different world yeah, yeah. So you're in a green world of darkness where you know what's about to you're about to do yeah. so whenever i flip my you know night vision down it would always give me a, a sensation again it wasn't this is preparing me i knew that it was time Right? There's a difference. There's a subtle difference. No difference. If there, though, there, I'm sure there is a difference, but there's some, there's overlap there where I think that is. I mean, like I said, it depends how loose you want to use the word ritual. But technically, yeah. Like remember, you said one time you said something about before you guys roll out, everyone starts it there yes. at the same time. Ritual, yes. right there. And ritual, it, it, however. Mm-hmm. Like standard operating procedures. Yeah, it's, it's a functional thing. Like well, you got to put your night vision goggles down. You have to do that. You. It's what you're going to do. Right. And when you do that, because you've done it a hundred times before, you know that that's now game on. But if if you're just putting your night vision goggles down, that's not really the ritual. But if it's like, I'm going to put my night vision goggles down after I do this every single time, that's a ritual. Or we all do it together. Like when Again, it's repeated. You're, you're calling it a ritual? You're putting a... You're putting a ritualistic flavor to it. It's yeah. a standard operating procedure. What, they it's can a be process. Both. They can be right, both, but I'm saying it's not ritualistic because there was no um, embedded deeper meaning that was put on top of it purposely. Right? Yeah, that's like a. It's not very ceremonial. Yeah. We're, we're trying to that. make it. We're trying to make it in something that's not right. right? Do you follow the same standard operating yeah. procedures? Yes. Mm-hmm. So Do you and and you know when we talk about fighters, you know I've been with a lot of fighters and and coached them, and those guys have little ritualistic things to get. Sometimes it is music, right? Because they're going to go fight a five minute round, and they're going to listen to something, or they're going to they're going to sit there and close their eyes and think about what's important to them. That's fine. I'm yeah. telling you, when I was overseas, I didn't have time to do any of that. We were running around. Never once did I say stand by. Hey, no one talk to me for the next three minutes right, while right. I get in the zone. Yeah. No. I was in the zone because I spent my, you know, did a workup, did spent my time in the teams, went through training, you know, shot my gun, knew knew what I was doing. Yeah. And so I didn't need to get in the zone. And I think that's what I think that's why I think I'm sensitive to this. And here's why I think I'm sensitive to this. I think I'm sensitive to this because I think people try and and tell tell people or sell people on the fact that if you do these things, it will prepare you mentally for you know, a pressure situation. Yeah. And that's what bothers me about it. That's what bothers me about it is, hey, if you do this, if you, this is what it is, if you take this shortcut, mm-hmm. then you will be prepared. Mm-hmm. Because I would never tell someone, 
Oh, you want to fight an MMA fight? You're going to get in the cage? Cool. Here's what you need to do to train for that. Three minutes before you enter the cage, go into a room, shut your eyes, and think about how you're going to win the fight. That is not true. Yeah. Now, this is I guess this is where uh, you've just you've just gotten this out of me echo you took me to 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 my point that i that i believe in right that is not what prepares you for the fight what prepares you for the fight is the years and years of training that you've done to get there Mm -hmm. the last three minutes you can have a ritual and it can put your mind in the right place but that's not what's putting your mind in the right place what's putting your mind in the right place is the months and months and years of training same thing with on the battlefield if someone said hey i'm about to go execute a uh a direct action mission mm. what should i do to prepare for that i wouldn't say well what you need to do <laughs> is listen to your favorite motorhead song yeah no yeah, yeah. that is not going to help you what you need to do is you need to do this you need to go this shooting you need to work on these type of tactics you need to understand what to do when someone gets wounded you need to have standard operating procedures for how to go into and out of buildings you need to understand how to clear rooms with open doors closed doors corner fed rooms all these different things that you need to know yeah I would tell you all that stuff, but what I don't like is when someone says, oh, what you need to do to be ready is do these, do this last fraction of a thing, and that's what's going to prepare you for combat. No, not true. Yeah. What prepares you for combat, what prepares you for a fight, what prepares you for a tough business decision, what prepares you for a pressure scenario that you're going into isn't the three minutes before. That's the icing on the cake. So I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the daily disciplines for months and weeks and years that led you up to the point so that when I went in combat for the first time and and, and shot my gun for the first time, it wasn't about the song that I listened to. It wasn't about the breathing that I did. It was the discipline and the training that got me there. So maybe I was a little bit hard coming out of the gate on this idea, but that's what that's why it was hard. And I didn't really understand that in my own mind until you started leading me down this road. Because that stuff does, when I see somebody trying to sell that, I don't like that. Yep. I don't like that. Do I have rituals? Yes, I absolutely. I mean, I even have rituals for when I get up in the morning. Yep. And what I do, you know, I, I fill my water bottle. My water bottle every night when I go to bed mm-hmm. is in the same spot. When I get up mm-hmm. at, out of bed in the morning, my water bottle's there. I put my, you know, I, I go very quietly in the bathroom. We talk about this. I do what I got to do in there. I come out. I gra- it's dark. I grab my water bottle. It's already where I know it's going to be. I don't need to turn on any lights. It's yep. where it's supposed to be. That's a ritual. I go f- to the kitchen. It's dark in the kitchen. I fill up the water bottle by sound because you know how this little beautiful sound as it fills up, it gets higher and higher and higher, and then boom, you kill it. Now I walk out. I flip on a light in the back of the house, put the shoes on because I'm not bothering anyone. So there's a little ritual there. When I mm-hmm. walk up to the gym, p- plug in the music, and now it's time to get after it. So there's a ritual there. There's there's... Even when I go to the gym and do jujitsu, I have a little ritual that I follow there. I yep. come in, I tape the fingers, I do what I got to do. For those of you people that are going to ask, I tape the, the the two fingers on my right hand, my pinky and my <laughs> and my ring finger on my right hand, because my pinky's got a little judo finger, right? So I, I tape those two together. Mm-hmm. It also gives me a little bit of that friction on the guillotine. At least that's what I've told Echo to further intimidate and scare him of the guillotine. <laughs> So th- there's some little ritualistic things there. Yeah. If Dean's there, <laughs> when I'll go in the sauna for five minutes and just get a little bit warm before he and he sees me sweating, he doesn't like to see me sweating because he knows that, that that I'm. It's on. It's on, right? So I'll right. go in there just to send a little mental vibe to Dean that you know what, Jock was already sweating. He says, "Damn." <laughs> so those ritualistic things, those are the fraction, the tiniest part of what you need to do to prepare. 
the preparation, the mindset doesn't come from those things. You wanna you wanna close out that final bit and make it something ritualistic that gets you in the right mindset? Do it. Mm-hmm. But that is not where the money is made. The money is made in the, everything that leads up to those final three minutes or two minutes or five minutes of ritualistic behavior that you have to get you ready to rock and roll. So bring it what can we extrapolate there so the question is no really i mean you maintain really because the question is do you do anything ritualistically to get yourself mentally prepared focus and proper mindset so you don't but you do do things that are rituals but that's not the question this is one of the questions so your the rituals you're talking about in regards to oh yeah what rituals do i have what rituals did I have in, 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 in preparing for combat? Training my ass off, being prepared, studying the enemy, being in cop physical condition. Those are the rituals. The rituals are the training. And the rituals, like I said, for the 20th time, that little tiny thing, those are just standard operating procedures. And when you do those ritualistically, mm-hmm. then, you're, then you, number one, you won't forget anything. You'll know that you have all your gear. You'll know that you've done what you're supposed to do and when you put your night vision goggles down you'll know that it's on straight and on. you'll be men- mentally prepared so your standard operating procedures are rituals by technicality sure sure there you go and for those of you that aren't watching this on YouTube, Echo just looked extremely proud of the, of this statement right there. <laughs> no, I wasn't proud By of the statement. By technicality, they are. I'm proud. I'm proud that that I had some influence over, yeah, over you. I don't want to. I don't want to completely beat a dead horse. Um, because but but what bothers me about that idea is people thinking they can cut corners. Yeah. On the preparation, you can't yeah. cut corners. That's my point. Yeah. You can't cut corners and think you're going to get the three-minute preparation to be ready for combat, yeah. to be ready for battlefield, be ready for a pressure situation, to be ready for a tough business decision. You don't get ready for that in three minutes. You yeah. get ready for that for months and years. That's how you prepare for it. Bro, I was I used to play football at UH, and we had this. I don't know if you ever watched like football. Humble camp. brag. <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm laying down the set. We already knew that though. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, so I was a wide receiver, and for the you drills, were a wide receiver. I was a lot smaller Dang. back then. I was like 180, 185, whatever. Nonetheless, one of the drills was this. Um, if you know football camp, you'll know this. It's like these. It's a motor on a big tripod, and on the motor are these spinning tires, and they spin this way. Mm-hmm. There's two. There's three of them. So there's they go, they go on this weird skewed angle. So basically, you load a, a football from the back you, mm-hmm. and you push it through and it shoots the Fire. ball like, yeah. And there's different speeds and stuff like that. So uh, my coach, what was his name? Coach Miles. My, I forget if that was his first name or last name. Anyway, mm-hmm. Coach Miles. He wasn't a very nice coach. So he would like drill us with it, right? Which is fine. That that part is cool because it's training. But the the part that I didn't think was very cool was if you missed – like there was, you would pay a price. Like he'd mm-hmm. yell Sprints at you. He'd sometimes, yeah, he'd make you run. And it, like if you missed, it mm-hmm. wasn't like it was like to me the punishment. It, it was wrong. Like the system was wrong. There. The punishment didn't fit the crime. Well, yeah, it wasn't like this isn't going to make you better to put more pressure on this drill. You know, it was more like, okay. hey, look, hey. But he wants to cause stress. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. I didn't feel that at the time. And now, I mean, I'd have to think about it more. I haven't thought about it in a number of years. I bet nowadays your viewpoint would be different. Maybe, but maybe not, though. No, you're, 
no, I don't think so. Only because I think that you're trying to get the best out of these people, mm-hmm. you know, for a specific situation. But on game day, there's going to be a lot of pressure. And yeah. you can actually get used to that stress yeah. by inoculating yourself to it. By him yeah. saying, look, you got to catch this ball or you're going to pay the man. Yeah, or just get better at catching. So Good you job, can, you can, No, no. So you could focus on getting better at taking stress or get, getting better at catching. Okay, and to I me, will give you that. Focusing on I will give you that. Day. Now, what I would say is that he should have combined both of them and he should have given you guys ample time to just practice the catching go. part and then later yeah. up the stress. Hey, man, bro, that would have been great if he did that. Fact yeah. is, he did not. So back to the the ritual mental preparation whatever so that it would be stressful for me as a young guy i was like 17 when i started football i was you know late anyway so i'm like one of the young guys and he'd and so when he'd he'd do stuff like to make it harder and harder and harder so Mm -hmm. of course you're gonna miss so there's this one where he's like ball and then you know you're supposed to turn around the ball's on its way full Mm -hmm. speed thing it's like and the thing comes real hard anyway so you'd miss and then he'd get all mad so anyway i'm stressed now it's not every practice i'm going in stressed about that one drill that we're Mm -hmm. gonna do so before practice we had this cool real real nice facility there's this lounge where everyone just kind of cruise and mellow out because you go you know from class Mm -hmm. to to pre-practice prep and then some meetings and then practice there's a little bit of downtime where you can mellow out in the lounge so in the lounge i'd close my eyes a lot of the time and be like just visualize that ball only for the drill not in scrimmage time mm-hmm. scrimmage time no problem but i'm visually I'm mentally preparing for the drill mm-hmm. i don't know this it just doesn't seem right anyway so yeah mentally mentally visualizing the ball coming at crazy speeds and i'm catching them boom catching them all in my my little visualization so i go and as time went on i kept doing that over and over and over didn't help the drill at all (laughs) failed like as far as any kind of effect i would catch some and miss some get yelled at more stress next day even more same thing so yeah, i would i would say this first of all visualization of uh, a physical technique is proven to help so it yeah. didn't help in your case what yeah. i would have said would have been the most helpful for you is to say you know what i don't care what this guy does to me yeah i don't care if i miss this ball and i'm gonna go out there and have fun yeah and you know what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna so. act like a maniac yeah i'm gonna have such a good time running down the field and when he calls ball i'm gonna turn around and do my best to grab that thing if i don't grab it i'm gonna do 14 somersaults and i'm gonna have a good time yeah, and man. so that would you would taking the pressure off yourself because that's probably what was what was uh jamming you up as yeah. you like to say that was it and and i'll say this too back to this whole idea right another thing that that I that I feel this sort of allergy to this type of thing mm-hmm. is it's sort of like uh, on the Tim Ferriss episode where I was just answering questions someone asked about motivation and I said like look motivation isn't isn't your friend right mm-hmm. motivation is gonna go up and down I feel like uh, you know what's gonna be good is discipline Discipline and so there's really that's the difference between what I'm talking about here when we're talking about hey What do you do to get in a mindset? Well, that's really talking about you know your mental mindset of motivation No, but what I'm talking about is discipline standard operating procedures that actually Prepare you for what you're about to do not that motivate you temporarily by listening to a good song or by doing some breathing drill That gets you mentally, but no the discipline is what's gonna make you 
mentally prepared for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So again, that's why I think I'm I'm a little bit stuck in the mud on this one yeah. and um, trying to have an open mind, but I think those are the key components for me. I don't like when people try and sell shortcuts on stuff yeah, yeah. and make it, you know, hey, you'll be great if you do these three minutes. Right. No, actually you won't. You need to do everything else. You need to do the hard work. Yeah. And, and people buy into that. Why do they buy into that? Because they want to take, everyone wants the quick and easy you know, oh, I mean, yeah. people that listen to this podcast don't. Yeah, right? no. People that are here, we we want to get in the game fully. Yeah, and two get hours, the full two hours in a book. Yes. Yeah. No yes. shortcuts there. No shortcuts. So, I think that's the difference. Is people? Some people sell that, and there's too many people that buy into it. When what they should be buying is, hey, hard work, and dedication, and discipline is what's going to mentally prepare me. Not this other stuff. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. So, yeah. So really, like I said, the SOP by by technicality, it's a ritual. But here's the thing about it being only technically a ritual, because if you take that away. Not necessarily the SOP, because that has a full on function. You know what? To I hate to cut you off just to talk about what we just what we're talking about here. Right. Because because I said, hey, with the podcast and I've said this before, we have a ritual that I do. I You do it, too. When I come, I brew the tea. I'm put my my pens in. I do the folder. I print the stuff out. I have I put put the knives in the bag. I have a ritual that I go through. Mm -hmm. But to case in point, case in point. That is not what prepares me for the that's for what, the episode. That's what I was gonna say. That is yeah, not what prepares exactly. me for the recording. What prepares me for the recording is what w- is spending ten hours, twelve hours, fifteen hours diving into a book, looking up words I don't know, doing background studies on battles that I don't understand that are mentioned offhand, researching some general that gets mentioned. That's what prepares me. Yeah. That's what gets me in the mindset to record a podcast. Not the ritual. Yeah. The ritual doesn't actually mean anything yep. without that core deep preparation that's done and that kind of settles our point here yeah i by no means very nicely yeah i was going straight technical and you um i think you're absolutely correct and sometimes because i would fall like especially when you're young you're like just anything that'll help me you know like do i did i tie my shoes in the wrong you know like superstition goes in there you know you know that feeling where you're like dang you're just stressed about something so anything that'll help and then after a while, you kind of go to yourself, man, man, it doesn't matter what order I put my shoes on right now. It doesn't matter what color my socks are right mm-hmm. now. You know, man, I used to have this thing where I'd be stressed to go to school for whatever it is, like intermediate school. You know, when you're like a new schooler, it's just a little bit stressed, not full on, but still I was looking for little things. So is this weird, th- even thinking about it right now, it's so weird. Um, so I'd have, uh, you know, music in your car on a tape. So... I liked uh, Bushwick Bill, who's a this rapper and and Ghetto Boys. Anyway, no idea. So, <laughs> and it had you know a bunch of swearing in it, but it was just a great, great album, mm-hmm. and I liked it. But I had it strangely in my mind: if I listened to like negative stuff, I'd have a negative day. Mm-hmm. And some people might say like, "Well, ooh, that's kind of true," but no, I, I don't think so. I think it doesn't matter really what music you listen. Maybe my certain music might put you in a certain mood, but that's up to you. Yeah, we're actually going in a whole nother direction, which I'm fine with going there. Um, I have always found that music to me, like the words in the music, I'm barely registering what they are. I know them. I'll be might even be singing along with them in my mind, but yeah. but 
the words generally aren't having a huge impact. I mean, I've listened to all kinds of rock and roll music throughout my years. Yeah. If I would have follow, followed along with 10% of the lyrics, I would probably be a heroin addict in the right. gutter somewhere, right? Because <laughs> you can't just yeah. listen to music and obey what they say. In fact, yeah. you shouldn't do that. Most music is, a lot of music is negative, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of music is very negative in what it's saying. So, yeah, that w- so what you're saying is the ritual of listening to the right music is no, important or not important? No, not important at all. I'm just saying I used to like kind of, f- I don't want to say fall for that trick, but I was young. I was like in intermediate school. So you believed it. You believed at the time. If you listen to negative music, you might have a negative negative day. day yes, and not the kind, not the kind where it's like I'm going to listen to this and then I choose to go. This will fire me up to do what. I, it wasn't that. It was a superstition, is what it was. And I'm saying my point for the whole thing is. You don't like how people like basically hang their success or failure on some me- right. visualization or some ritual. Yes, and agree that. And that, that the point I'm making is, I would have to like remind myself of that. Like, man, the music, like you. nothing bad's gonna happen to me because I listen to Bushwick Bill I, talk about this thing. I, I you got know? you. That I will say this though, that is a conscious decision that you made. Yeah. Whereas if you were just listening, to, I, I mean, music changes your mood. Music changes my mood for sure. Yeah. And when I hear a certain music, I get a certain reaction to it, and I will get into a certain emotional state yeah. from listening to a song that's about something or not something else. You know, that will have an effect on me. Now, I don't know that. It, my point is that the lyrics themselves don't really mean anything. I guess I guess if they do mean something though, and they hit me a certain way, music definitely will put you in a different mood, in my opinion. Yeah, if you let it, like if you're yes, if you're using if you, it, if for something you like well, that. I would say put you in a mood unless you don't don't let, let it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yes. if you just listen to it, now there's times where you can be listen to you know whatever music and it's just not going to hit you. But some music that you have might have a core uh, thought about. Mm-hmm. Now, does this? go back and negate my earlier point that music doesn't affect my mindset? Does that do it? Might, right? Now I'm going back on what I said because I said, oh, music doesn't affect your mindset. Uh, I guess I am going back well, on that. Well, yeah, but ultimately I think I think really it holds up where you... Yeah. The, 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 look, the because music here's mind- the deal. Here's the deal. You're going into a stressful combat situation and you didn't get a chance to listen to your song, can yeah. you afford to be like, oh, no, I no. can't go? No. Exactly, so that's that's yeah. another reason exactly. why, yes, I'm staying with my original point. Yeah, I agree, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> Stick with that. Don't let anyone sway you. Don't let them. Still a ritual by technicality, it. though. Jocko. Is this question number five now? Or? Yep. Can you speak about winging it and when it's best to just go for it and when making a plan without the time to do so is the best course okay yeah I can definitely talk about that um well winging it is never the first choice (laughs) and when when you see people in the you know in the SEAL teams or in the military if they're winging something it's something that they've practiced a lot if it's something that they have planned broadly before and they have so much experience in that whatever that type of operation that they can actually get away with it right and a, mm-hmm. a good example if you take a jiu-jitsu example like dean dean lister he can yeah. wing it in a match jeff glover can do that <laughs> to a ridiculous level yeah. of just winging it in competition mm-hmm. and just show up and just do what he does because he's got you know those guys at that high level have a mental fluidity that's going to be very helpful for them now there's other people that are very high level jiu-jitsu players that don't wing it 
that are very much more methodical. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's some cases with both Jeff and Dean where they probably should have been more <laughs> methodical. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Jeff is straight up suicidal in many of his matches. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's what's beautiful is is that he moves so much so rapidly that people can't hang with him on yep. that level in most cases. Um, so that's why he, he, he is winging it. Like every movement that he makes is winging it, but case in point, he's puts himself in those situations all the time. You come to the gym and watch him train, he's letting people put him in the worst possible situations and figuring a way out of it. Yeah. So the reason he can wing it in a competition is because he's, he's, right. he's put a pra- practice and discipline there in the background. And if you saw my SEAL platoon or task unit, we could wing it on operations all the time because we were prepared, because we knew each other so well, because we had standard operating procedures that covered so much of the things that would happen during an operation where we would be quote unquote winging it. So even though we're winging it, we're not really winging it because we right. have all these standard standard operating procedures in place that we didn't really need to plan. But if you have time to plan, then of course plan. Do, do as much planning as you can. Dig in and plan every detail that you can plan. Now, when it does come to planning, I think the most important part of a plan, the thing that makes a plan the most effective is its flexibility. And making a plan that is so flexible that when you do the actual operation and you come up against unexpected things which are absolutely going to happen, you have the flexibility, you have options, you have contingency plans to deal with. Now, so plan as much as you can, but the problem is with all that emphasis on planning, sometimes people become obsessed with planning. And they plan and they plan and they plan some more and they plan and they plan and they plan and they don't wanna execute. Mm -hmm. And if they do execute, they execute late. They missed their opportunity. So that's why that's why Patton said, I got this note written down here. Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week, right? That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just come up with a good plan. Don't come up with a perfect plan that takes you two weeks to come up with. That's not gonna help you. That's something you need to keep in the front of your mind. And that is especially applicable in a, tactical decision that's being made in the field right something that is unfolding you see the enemy maneuvering you come up with a quick plan and you execute because every minute that you're waiting to execute the enemy is maneuvering on you that that lull in enemy fire that's not them retreating and running away no your mindset has to be that that's them maneuvering on you they're getting a better position they're setting up getting ready to crush you so don't let that happen Make a plan and go, and that comes back again to flexibility. If you come up with a good plan and you go, as that plan is being executed, you gotta pay attention. You gotta pay attention and watch how it's unfolding. Don't put the blinders on and you've got your plan and now we're gonna go and we're not gonna look around anymore. We're just gonna follow the plan. No, you have to be observant. You have to observe, orient, decide, and act the whole time. You can't just come up with a plan and stay on that track because when you come up with a fast plan, you're not going to have 
thought about every single detail. And you don't know what the enemy's gonna do anyways. Mm-hmm. You don't know what your competitor's gonna do. You can't guarantee that. So when you see them start to react to your what you executed, now you gotta be ready to react yourself mm-hmm. and get the, op- the, the upper hand and take the offensive. So the, there's, an, there's, one more, there's one more little dichotomy to this. And I'll just say it. Even though I'm saying you got to adapt your plan and you need to adjust as things happen, you also want to stick to your plan. <laughs> Those things are completely the opposite of each other, right? I'm saying adapt and change your plan as needed, but I'm also telling you to stick to your plan. But for instance, if you rehearsed a, a or if you have a standard operating procedure for your order of patrol, so this is the, the order of you know the point man and it's it's Jones and then Smith and then Washington and then Jefferson and that's your order patrol right mm. and those guys are always marching in that order and so we know each other we know how to work together we have fire team integrity we have a standard operating procedure and we're going to attack a target and when we get closer to the target we see that hey you know what maybe it'd be better to move this guy over here and move this guy over here and so let's let's change our standard order of march our standard patrolling order because it'll it'll be easier when we get to the target mm. don't do that mm. don't do that you have your standard operating procedures for a reason you have them and when you start pulling yourself out of the standard operating procedures for no good reason mm-hmm. that's going to come back and bite you it's it's not going to work out good so be flexible. This is going to be an interesting statement. Be flexible, but stick to the plan. But be ready to adjust, but stick to the plan. And that's totally contradictory. And I know that. And I apologize. <laughs> but that is what leadership is. Leadership is balancing those dichotomies. And leadership is knowing when, hey, we've stayed with our standard operating procedure. We're going to hold through it through this little thing right here. You know, there's been a, there's a little small terrain feature we didn't expect. We could change our plan right now and adapt to that in the unlikely event that, or the the small chance that something happens and we'll be better for it at that moment. No, stay with your standard operating procedure. But then, when something dramatic happens and you need to make a change, you do it aggressively. You do it dynamically, and then you continue to observe, orient, decide, and act, and st- st- keep beating the enemy inside the OODA loop. That's it. Next question. Jocko. Yes. And Echo. Oh. BJJX partner is training in another gym. Mm. Now my head coach banned him from coming back. (laughs) Um, Question. So dojo loyalty versus freedom. Okay. What up? So there is some tradition behind this, actually. Yep. And the tradition is actually the tradition of the crayonch. <laughs> so that's so crayonchi is a it's a Brazilian word and it's a name, right? It's a it's a name from a character in a Brazilian soap opera. You're looking at me like you didn't know that. Did you I, know this? I didn't know that. Oh, no. you didn't know this. So, I mean, I know Crianchi. Yeah, of course. Everyone knows Crianchi yeah, from yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. Crianchi came from, it's a character in a Brazilian soap opera mm-hmm. that was like a, 
a backstabber, like an unloyal guy, right? And so when, especially back in the early days for me in jiu-jitsu, which was pretty early days in America for jiu-jitsu in the 90s, if anyone was going from gym to gym or even left a gym permanently to go to another gym, they were labeled this horrible word. It was the <laughs> it was the worst thing you could call somebody, right? Dang. Was a crayonchi. Okay. Yeah, this guy's a crayonchi. And that meant that they were a traitor. Yeah. That's what it meant. And there's also so that's there's a tradition of it in jujitsu, right? Of this idea that if you change gyms or you train at a different place, you're a crayonchi. <laughs> now, there's a little backlash against that, and there's people that have you know, as a matter of fact, we used to joke about being like Team Crayonch as we oh. were all, you know, training at different places and trying to find the best places to train. But there's beyond that, there's a there's a martial arts kind of tradition as well, yeah. which is you know loyalty and gratitude to your instructor. Right? That's a that's a fairly understood tradition, not just in the martial arts, but in any arena where you're learning something from somebody that's putting their time and effort into you to instruct you in something. And there's also a practical level of reasoning behind this, and that is competition. Yeah. Right? So if you're going to be competing and you compete with a guy at your gym that's got an unbelievable triangle, and then somebody else comes from another school and they are basically rolling with that guy and they see he's got a really good triangle. Now you're in a competition against that guy and he tells his buddy, hey, that guy you're gonna compete against has a really good triangle. Watch out for his triangle. That can change the outcome of a match. Yeah, he knows the details of it, all that stuff. That can change the outcome of a match. So there's a practical level to it. You know, there's also sharing moves, right? And if certain schools might have a really good series of moves or moves and all of a sudden someone goes to you know, train somewhere else, they can share that move. And mm-hmm. that's bad. And you know, what's interesting is in every business, most businesses that I work with, I should say, they have their own little worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And they have their own kind of loyalty and crayonchi. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're at you you pick an industry, people are good in that industry and when they change companies they bring with them the same kind of thing. They bring maybe some secret sauce, maybe some moves, maybe they know some personalities, they know the weakness of that other company. Mm. So when they leave, there's a loyalty factor that comes into it. Now, that being said, loyalty goes both ways, and I've talked about this before. The student should be loyal, right? But Mm -hmm. the teacher has to be loyal as well. That means they have to be teaching solid stuff, that means they need to you know, train correctly. That means they need to offer enough classes, all kinds of things, right? They're, the teacher owes some loyalty to the students. And on top of that, on top of that, this is America, <laughs> right? This is yeah. America. And in America, you pay to go to a school. You pay money, right? It costs you money. And I always use this example when people ask me about this. In America, just because you normally get your pizza from Domino's doesn't mean that if you feel like it, you can't get call up <laughs> Little Caesars and have some coming. Because it's America, yep. and 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 if guess what, if Little Caesars makes a better pizza, you're gonna maybe order even more often. Yep. So it's there's there's competition, right? And you want to end up where you're getting the best pizza. Yep. And there's 
so so there's some advantages to looking for that good pizza. There's there's and there's some advantages to traveling around and good training at different places because you're going to get different um, schools with different instructors that have different specialties and different styles. Mm-hmm. So that can be advantageous. There's also some disadvantages to school, going to a bunch of different schools. Number one is your teacher doesn't really know you. So now your teacher doesn't know your style, doesn't Mm -hmm. know what moves would be good for you. They also don't see you progress because you're only coming back every once in a while or whatever. They don't, they don't see you getting any better and they're not, they're not really maybe as comfortable teaching you everything because you're not really their student. Right. And you know what, man, it is a, it's a, it's a it's a powerful thing to teach someone jujitsu, and a, and it's a, it's an effort, and there's an emotional component to it when you teach somebody jujitsu. There's an emotional thing; like you're giving them something. Yeah, and there's an emotional level in there somewhere that says, you know what, I'm giving you this. I'm not going to hold it over your head, but you know, there's a little something <laughs> there. You, I'm not going to say you owe me anything. But you owe me a little something, right? Wait, wait, like, like what you like? So I taught you this. So now you need to go and not mess it up, or you got to represent, or is it like don't use this to? I don't know. Like, what do you a, mean? I think it's a little bit of both. Of you know, I'm investing all this in you, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, you're giving me a hundred bucks a month, but what I'm giving you is worth more than a hundred bucks a month. Like we know that, right? Mm-hmm. So. Give me something back. What do I want back? I want you to train with me. Hmm. You know what I mean? Just, hey, you're going to go to another school and you're going to train there sometimes? I understand that. But, oh, wait a second. Now I'm just your part-time teacher? Okay, well, I'm not going to invest very much in you anymore. Right, yeah, yeah, I got you. So there's an emotional component to it. Now, again, back to the advantages because there's a dichotomy of everything, right? You're rolling with different people at different schools. Like I said, one thing that's nice about our school is we got a lot, we got different instructors with mm-hmm. different styles. Yeah, I mean between Dean and Jeff, they are literally at the opposite end of the spectrums, yep. which is freaking awesome to have. Mm-hmm. They're at the opposite end of the spectrums of the jujitsu skill set, right? They're just crazy different. They almost don't look like they're doing the same sport. Mm-hmm. And when I train with both of them. I don't feel like I'm doing the same sport. It's just a <laughs> yeah. different, it's just a totally different game. But then you got James mm-hmm. Nielsen, who's got his own style of jiu-jitsu, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Train, obviously. Mm-hmm. You got him coming in hot. Who am I missing? Adam. He's teaching his, his own little different style. Who yeah. else? Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Real. Mm-hmm. Jeff Real's got his f- badass game. Fast. Me, I, I don't know what, I don't teach myself, but I'm sure that there's a different element there. Yeah, but you coach up and stuff. Like, people learn from you. I know, I like, a lot of stuff I learn from you, yeah. you know, and, like, you're, like, um, a tut- tutelage, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like, you train with Jeff all the time, you're going to learn some real creative, dynamic mm-hmm. stuff. You learn from Dean, you're going to, you know, learn a lot of stuff, like, in, you know, in that way. So, so I think a lot of people still, even though you're not an instructor, you, they do learn a lot from yeah, I, you. Yeah, and I do teach from time to time. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do, and I do when I teach. A lot of times when I am teaching, I might not be teaching the class, right? right. But I'm just saying, hey, buddy, yeah. check this out. Yeah, you that's put your what hips I mean. over here. You need to. Win. So, so those are advantages, you know. For and if you were at a school with one instructor, yeah, then I could see where you'd be going, man. Okay, there could be an advantage if I go try some other instructors. Again, there's a trade-off yeah. because now. 
now you start learning something. I, th- I actually see this more with striking, mm-hmm. with with striking training, where guys that move around from different coach, different striking instructors a lot, they don't. It's not like jujitsu where you can incorporate it in and you learn something from some other guy and you bring it into your game and you change it a little bit. When I see people move striking coaches a lot, I see their game actually deteriorate, in my opinion, mm. because striking is more um, instinctive. It's an instinctive thing, right? You're throwing your combos and you let them go. Like mm. you let your combos go and you react. It's, it's just something that happens. It's, it's more mechanical. So... When you train mechanically to react and to throw your combos the way you're throwing them, and then all of a sudden you change that and you want to throw them a different way, I think it trips people up. I think it sends yeah. them backwards a little bit. Whereas jujitsu, you can incorporate new games, different parts of games yeah. more fluidly. And and also striking when you're training striking, jujitsu. Sure, you learn moves from the co- your instructor. You learn you know some timing stuff, but it's like instruction. But then. You have to train with a multitude, like all your training partners in jiu-jitsu, and that's part of your training. Mm-hmm. So if you go striking, it's not really like that. In fact, most strikers, they'll, st- they'll stick with the one coach, and then they'll have a multitude of sparring partners. Yes. You yes, know what I mean? So that changes. Good. And jiu-jitsu, just by its own nature, is already like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and when you spar against other people striking, though, your fundamental movements they'll change a lot less than they will when you're rolling oh, with a bunch yeah. of different people. You're using more of your body. You're, yeah, you're, you're, there's just, um, striking is linear. Yeah, more linear. And sure. jiu-jitsu is completely not linear. So therefore, when you're training something that's linear and you start going off that line, it, it trips you up, in my opinion. But with jiu-jitsu, it can be beneficial at times to um, tra- train with some other people. Advantages and different advantages. So, I guess to get to this question, long-winded answer. Um, one, you know, what is it? The head coach banned him from coming back. That's a bummer. Dang. That's a bummer. I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I've never banned anyone from our school for going and training in another school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not intimidated by that. Right. If someone goes, hey, I'm going to go train at this other school, I'm like, cool. And they come back because they get there and they go, okay, this is cool, but I'm going to come back to where we get this training that we have at Victory, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'm comfortable with. And if someone goes somewhere and go- and goes, oh, I like this place better than Victory, mm-hmm. that's cool. Good luck. I mean, it's all, and you know, in a year they come back and go, yeah, I'm coming back. You know, yeah. I don't get mad at them because mm-hmm. everyone's on their own journey. I guess you could say yeah. everyone's finding their own path Fully. and I'm not going to force people down a path. I might recommend a path, you know, I might say, you know, and I do that, you know, that's what, that's what we have the gym for. It's like, here's a path, man. And it's wide open. It's a beautiful path with incredible jujitsu practitioners. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I, I'm kind of bummed out to hear, you know, that that happens, but I do understand. And I think that's what, if I was, if I were in that position, where I'm at a school and my training partner leaves and then he gets banned, that I don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a bummer. Yeah, I think so too. I agree with you. And here, everywhere is kind of different. Here is kind of a, a situation here in Southern California. God, it's Especially ridiculous. in San Diego. It's a ridiculous Diego. situation. Yeah. We got the jujitsu everywhere. Everywhere, yes. So and it's, uh, it's literally on every street corner in some cases. Yeah, you can l- literally <laughs> walk comfortably 
comfortably it's like what one block to the yeah. next one yeah and it's a good one yeah. too that's the thing yeah there's but, just schools everywhere i'm yeah. sorry for those of you that live in the non-jujitsu know, parts yeah. of the world i'm sorry yeah. um, we have a lot of jujitsu here in san diego yeah we have like our gym and, and southern california in general orange yeah. county la is crazy yeah. Yep. yeah so you figure in san diego what's gonna kind of be a result of that is like our situation for example we have dean who's kind of the 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 main guy who kind of came in with the school right remember mm-hmm. dean had the small kind of school yep. went to the boxing club came to throw down is mm-hmm. what it was called became victory but with dean was like a bunch of guys like for sure you elias um james nils nilson some other guys from fabio santos yep, yep. and we all trained together elias was instructor like all these guys yep. and then some guys went and opened their own school mm-hmm. now so not as a result of that whole situation sure we have other schools but they're kind of still our guys in a weird way yep. they're different thing so if i go train with elias which i johnny Faria, another mm-hmm. one he was my instructor for a little while mm-hmm. i'll go train with johnny sometimes and then is that a is that a crunchy situation? No. Yeah, I mean, even technically, is that a crunchy situation though? Oh, you're asking me technically? <laughs> I would say I would tell <laughs> no. you this. Back ten years ago, yeah, that would yeah, be that would is. be a major crunchy situation. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. is it right now for me? No. Yeah. You know, I yeah. want you to get better at jujitsu. Right. Yes. You know, and if if you got an opportunity to go, you're gonna go train at another school. That's cool. Yeah. Because it's 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 gonna make you better. It doesn't it doesn't offend me. Yeah. You know what? I'm not a jealous husband, <laughs> right? I'm yeah. not jealous of of that. I don't think, oh, what if he goes and never comes? I know, you, I know where it's at, right? And, and and so it's all good. You know who I'm coming home to. Huh? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> the, the, well, I think the culture just in general is shifting, and I, I think this is this like in in Southern California is going to be more like this, like way yeah. more laid back. Of course, you get you know little little tiny little groups of people who still believe that even yeah. though but the really the community is like that in fact if you consider studio 540 mm-hmm. that's a crayonchi gym yeah it's an actual it's they like, might as well be called crayonchi yeah capital all the way down to the instructors now yep. fabio santos will teach there one day mm-hmm. fabio santos has his own gym by the way arizona yep. academy yeah, yeah, by yeah. the way same thing with higgs like all these are guys who who came from other academies and they invite whoever and they actually have other, have academy other currently. academies yep yeah. and you can go visit well, I visit all the time you know everyone knows each other so yeah. it's like the culture is different now. and i think i think with our gym it's not as uh not as pronounced as that but we definitely i mean people come oh, yeah. in every day from we're all over yep. you know how many invited. different gyms were represented today, today yep. for open mat there was guys from all over san diego guys from all over the country yep. uh victor, victor. Yep. showing up from seattle trooper wanting to get his game on yep. right on you know ivan salivary guy yeah that's right yeah beast cool. beast mode up there yeah he was good and that and that's a, that the cool thing you said it dean said it he said i encourage you to go to other gyms or i mean not to be some weird spy but yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. bro if you want to go get training because i was going up to eddie bravo's one this was a long time Edge. ago when he when he was at uh like legends and i was mm-hmm. going up there for work or whatever and um you know i knew about that or it's like oh is that kind of backstabbing if i go train what year was that you didn't tell me that you were doing that <laughs> actually i did it wasn't about eddie bravo's one but it was about something else no, i did true. tell you and he said the same thing he was like bro you get as much training as you can yeah you know if you yeah. want to if you want to be a part of this uh, like association academy or whatever then that's up to you 
and I'm glad you're here, or whatever. And I don't think personally that you're gonna do it, but bro, you're here to learn jujitsu. Yeah. And if you can learn some jujitsu over there, like more of a certain type than you can here or anywhere, fine. Go do it. Yeah. He said the more jujitsu you learn, the better. <laughs> so I was that's like, a good dang. Quote good. from Dean Lister right there. Yeah. The more jujitsu you learn, the better. The, yeah. And I then, like that. and then, so even to kind of go above and beyond that is when you okay. Let's say you know what I got to interject here is especially for some of these academies out there, man. Jiu-jitsu, it it's like you you're a doctor because yeah. you went through ten years of school to get your black belt, just like a doctor goes. And what sucks is when you're a doctor, you make X amount of money. It's a very steady paycheck, and you're kind of set. Jiu-jitsu doesn't mean anything. That black belt that you worked 10 years for doesn't get you paid. So the reason I'm saying this is some of the people that are more defensive about this, if they're an instructor and they have a small academy, they need, they you're financially supporting them. They worked hard to do that. They've invested in you. They're counting on you. So when you just go, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to go train somewhere else, that, that yeah. not only does it hurt them emotionally, like I said, because, man, when you put some effort into somebody, you feel like, oh, you're gonna leave after I gave you all yeah. that, and you didn't give it to them because you they paid, but you gave them the value that you get out of jujitsu is not worth a hundred dollars a month. It's yeah. worth a thousand dollars a month. It's worth it's worth a ton of money. Yeah. Keeling put that on his uh, on on some social media post that he because he got his black belt, and when he did, he's like, well, you're rich when you got something that money can't buy, and yep. that's the truth, that's right? The truth. Yep. And but that black belt doesn't get you any money. It doesn't mean anything. So there's another component to this whole thing that if you're leaving and going to different schools and someone's thinking, oh man, I'm gonna lose, you know, this is how okay. I feed my, there's, yep. you know, jujitsu is, you wanna become a jujitsu instructor, you're generally not gonna become a rich person, right? Mm -hmm. Not financially rich. Mm -hmm. So there's that component too. Now luckily we have a big gym and it's a little easier for guys to come and go, it's okay. Yeah. You know, we're not yes. sweating it as bad. Yeah, totally. um, and yeah, so you gotta you gotta keep that in mind as well that your your coach that's poured more than what you've paid him. Yeah, he, because I don't just want to say, hey, look, I'm paying for this instruction, so you owe it to me, and I'll go do whatever I yeah. want. That's too base of a statement yep. to make y because right. truly, jujitsu has more value than the hundred dollars a month yeah. that you're paying for it. Yeah, and you'd really, as a quote unquote customer or member, I mean, everyone's different. There's sure there's exceptions to this, but generally, you don't want that anyway, even if you think you do, like. I I sh I can be free to come and go, and technically you are free to come and go as mm -hmm. you as you are. But don't think that like everyone's gonna be just hundred percent fine with it no. all the time. No. Because when when you when you come in, like I said, like uh, it's a kind of a two way street. You uh, or hopefully, I hope my coach takes pride in what he taught me. For sure. I hope my coach is like I care about how good you become. You For know? sure. I hope he's not the guy who's like, give me the check. I'll teach my moves and who cares about how good you get and I don't want that guy you don't want that guy yep, yep. so there is that and and so that makes sense it's, it is that two-way street but as a competitor or practitioner guy learning so as a student um, especially when you reach a certain level and you've been training with kind of the same even like 20 25 guys we'll say you've been training with these same 20 which is a lot of guys by the way mm -hmm. to always train with you've been training with them for I don't know whatever eight years we'll say mm -hmm. and then you go to another gym Man, that's a way different look. So it's like fresh, brand new types of training, you know? Oh, it's like you're almost going to competition 
but you're not yeah. competing because when you compete you get to go against people you've never trained with before yeah so yeah definitely. different guys different and that's aside from even the d- different what techniques. do you normally you know what i find when i go in those situations when i when i train with somebody that doesn't i don't train with all the time it's mm-hmm. you you feel a lot better at jujitsu because they don't because they don't know you your guys, game yeah, yeah they don't know your game and you you know we you know everyone's got their own little special thing yeah. so um i always feel like a little bit better when i go yeah See, and that's part of my point where yeah. if you train with 25 guys, those 25 guys, they know your game. And not to say it's not good training, it's good training, but they know your game. So it may not be as accurate as far as like training competition or something yep. like that yep. after a while. Yep. So when you go to these new places, you get that's an additional layer of training you get. Yeah. You know, another subject on this is it kind of always bummed me out when I would hear from my jujitsu friends that have we've been in San Diego for 20 something years. And all of a sudden be like, oh, we can't come to your school because our instructor doesn't want us to. And I'd always yeah. be like, bro. The, the, yeah, that's so, so that's like I wouldn't tell somebody that. I'm not yeah. trying to control people. Yeah. And yeah. that bums me out. Yeah. So I that actually it. brings up another um, subject that I feel like I have to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we got a lot of people out there that are starting jujitsu for the first time. A lot of troopers that are getting in the jujitsu game, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome, and I get a lot of people saying, "Oh, what school should I train at in wherever?" P- throw a dart at a map in America, and that's what they're asking me about. Yeah. First of all, I don't know all those instructors. Now, generally, you, you know, somebody that does jujitsu will look at a website and see what a guy's credentials are, yeah. and say, "Yeah, that guy looks like a legit black belt or a legit brown belt." Or even a guy asked me the other day, "Is it worth learning from a purple belt if there's no one else around?" I'm like, "Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah. absolutely." So. But people ask me about these schools, and I kind of give them my best guess. Like, you know, I'll take a look at the website and, um, you know, see if there's a black belt. You don't need to ask me, by the way. Google, look at their record, make sure that they do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, not some other form of jiu-jitsu. Um, just, just you can figure it out. You don't need, you can go to the school and assess. But what I want, the main point that I wanted to bring up isn't that. It's just this part here, is that... Being into jujitsu doesn't mean that a person is a good person. And being a black belt in jujitsu doesn't have anything to do with their character as a person. And I hate to say that. Um and and there is a level of to get to be a black belt in jujitsu, sure, you could say in general, it means you're a committed person. In general, it means you're a hardworking person. In general, it means that you've been humbled by your experiences on the mat. In general. Mm-hmm. But it is no way a fact. Mm-hmm. And there are people in the jiu-jitsu game that are swindlers and thieves and they're untrustworthy and there's black belts in jiu-jitsu that can be bullies. And... There's people in jiu-jitsu that can be predators. Mm-hmm. And, you know, jiu-jitsu, it's a power. And sometimes people that are power hungry recognize that power and they pursue the gaining of jiu-jitsu power. And mm-hmm. then they abuse that power. So, like any um, abusive situation... Where one person has a perceived power over another person, it can get very ugly. And there's all kinds of abuses that I've seen take place over the years in the jiu-jitsu world. Financial abuses. Mm-hmm. 
physical abuse and even sexual abuse so i just wanted to get that out there that being a jujitsu black belt brown belt purple belt blue belt white belt doesn't make someone a good person so you need to be careful jujitsu doesn't make you a god and it certainly doesn't make you a saint but it does give you power and everybody has to recognize that there's people out there that are their goal is to abuse power mm-hmm. and, and i think the same thing goes with any glorified position in life you know and i actually see that sometimes with you know uh, a standing in a company a being a veteran like being a veteran doesn't mean that you're a saint by any stretch of the imagination being a seal Right, I know a lot of SEALs, and there's plenty of SEALs that got out of the SEAL teams and they're upstanding, awesome citizens. But there's also scoundrels and miscreants and swindlers, like I said, and they're using the SEAL name that they have to promote themselves and to take advantage of other people. So keep your guard up. Keep your guard up and make sure you judge people not based on what jujitsu belt they have mm-hmm. or what veteran status it is that they brag about, but who they are as a person. And I just wanted to get that out there mm-hmm. because we sit here and talk about jujitsu, and there's so many great people in jujitsu, man. It's wonderful. You roll into some, you see somebody with cauliflower ears and you start talking to them, it's great. And you, you, you know, there's just a bunch of great people. I mean, we were on the mat today for two hours, you know, and we trained for an hour and 15 minutes and then we're just hanging out, just talking because that's what we do. And we're talking about everything. And it's so there's great people in jujitsu. It's a great family Mm -hmm. uh, situation, but you do have to be careful. It is not a blanket, um, Blanket statement that because someone's a jiu-jitsu black belt for instance mm. that they are a trustworthy person because there's some scumbags out there Yeah, man, and that so. that that can and the fact that And I talk to Brady about this every once in a while where you go in jiu-jitsu and it seems like everyone just identifies with each other And later on you find out oh shoot that guy's like a lawyer and that guy's a yep. doctor or that guy's like a different religion yeah, that guy's a plumber and that guy's a whatever yeah. and this person's from this area yeah. and we all just get along on the yep map. everyone gets along and the black belt he has so much like he's humble like for the most part it's pr- it's pretty you know everyone's really good in jiu-jitsu for the most part right <laughs> and that's why you can kind of especially if you're kind of new or maybe like the first year or something like that where you're going around and dang my whole year of jujitsu has been great people come on the mat and they're oh my gosh all my new friends that's a big one man all my new mm-hmm. friends is so cool and i got this whole thing it's like it's your whole life is better and then so your guard is down in you know almost like a conditioning way yeah you're just like hey if you're into jujitsu you must be dope mm-hmm. in every way and then you get these like outliers that yep. they're in the game you know and they and they take advantage like or they can yep, you know they can, and some sure. do but yeah you gotta you gotta always kind of watch out for that kind yeah so just if your spider senses are going up or first of all turn them on yeah turn them on turn them exactly. on and then if they go up start to maybe ask more questions than you are and don't get yourself in a situation where you know you're gonna regret what's going on because you believed that someone was a good person because they had some status that you consider to be an honorable status 
Yep. Hate to say it, man. I hate to. I hate to have to, uh, have to yeah. kind of bring that, bring all that, all that jujitsu down. And there's, you know, there's, and there's, I'll tell you something else. There's aspects of jujitsu where people lose their minds, right? Mm-hmm. They get crazy, and you know, some of it, you know, with the whole school thing we just talked about, where people start going crazy about who owns students. Right? No, like no. Like I'm not on own any students. Yeah. I'm happy to have people that train at my gym and yeah. I'm happy to work with them and train them. Well, I don't own anybody, right? Yeah. And there's people that get that crazy. There's people that get crazy oh parents that go psycho <laughs> on their kids. No. And go level seven, you know, yeah. um living vicariously through their kids mm-hmm. and push their kids till their kids hate jujitsu. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I pushed my kids too hard when they were younger, for sure. That's looking back, you know, everyone's, oh, the big parenting advice from Jocko, man, I pushed my kids too hard, I made them compete too much, made them compete in harder brackets, older kids, heavier kids all the time. And it made jujitsu not fun. But I didn't break them mentally from that. So you gotta be careful that, you gotta be careful of the whole, um, you gotta be careful of, jujitsu is a power, and it's really easy to get suckered into the point where you feel like you should exercise your power over other people yeah. um, on the mats or otherwise. Yeah. You know, if you if you ever go into the gym and it's making you feel really good to tap everyone out, like you're feeling better than them, yeah, just, just start to check it. yourself, man. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not helping you. Yeah. Because there's someone out there that can tap you. There's someone else. And if you're taking those abusives out on other people. So again, to beginners in jujitsu, it's you're gonna get tapped out. You're gonna get tapped out a lot, but there shouldn't be anyone that is Smashing you and abusing you. That's a much higher belt than you right you know, another white belt might not even get that yet They're just happy. They're submitting you right mm. But when anyone that's been around a little bit more they should be you, you should feel like hey that guy just He didn't abuse me. Yeah, she didn't abuse me She just beat me and I mm. know what happened and it's cool mm. Yeah, and and even that that's kind of weird and interesting too where abuse can come in weird different forms too, you know? Like if cuz there's a difference between okay, so, so like Jeff Glover for example. Mm-hmm. If you if Jeff Glover is cuz he has fun when he rolls, that's a big mm-hmm. part of his his game. And um let's say, "Oh, I'm a new white belt, maybe, you know." Yep. And I come and roll against Jeff Glover and he and it's let's say it's a I don't know, 6-minute round and just in training and Jeff taps him out 25 times. That's not that's not abuse. No, you know, no. you're just he's no. just doing submissions hold on you. He's doing his yeah. thing or whatever. If someone's like grinding you and and doing you know abusing you or trying to make you look stupid or something like that mm-hmm. because like oh yeah I know jujitsu you don't kind of thing or maybe there's some girls that he's trying to pre- then that starts to get into abuse. But <laughs> uh, d- don't ever watch me and Dean roll because yeah. when one of us is having a good day and the other one's having a bad day, it's yeah. straight up abusive. Right, <laughs> but that's you and Dean. We have fun and, and you'll notice that if when you establish like solid training partners, yeah. bro, that becomes part of the game. Yeah, I'm going to try yeah, to abuse yeah. you. And so that's different. That's what I mean by yep. it's so diff- like dynamic as far as like recognizing what abuse is. Because yeah. if you get tapped out 25 times, and it seems like, dang, you didn't have to like go black belt on him. He's a white belt. Well, well yeah, he went black belt on him, but he wasn't abusing him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's like that. That's a well within the confines of, of the game. For you sure, know? for sure. But. There's a big difference between that. And you know, this to translate this for people that don't do jujitsu yet. Uh, think about also this with any 
status structure, right? In the work, in the military, in in the hierarchy of any company or industry, where if you're feeling good about bossing people around, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're doing something wrong, man. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. If your goal of what you're doing is based on you, if you're saying, look, I'm gonna be the best, and I'm gonna be, uh, this is what's important to me. Yeah. If that's what you're saying as a leader, put yourself in check, because that's just pure ego coming out. When you're saying, look, I wanna be the best in this, and I think there's a weird thing that happens with people that are go-getters, and they hear someone that's a go-getter. They'll hear some person that's been successful in business. And that person that's been successful in business will be like, you know what? I said I was going to be the best, and here I am. I'm the best. And you've got to set your goals. You've got to put them out there. And you've got to let everyone know that you're going to run them over if you get in your way. And that sounds really cool. And, and I guarantee if you went back and you followed that person through their career, they were compl- not like that. They were, they were politically sensitive they understood other people's needs. They didn't go, hey, nice to meet you. I'm going to take over this business. No, they didn't do that. They said, hey, nice to meet you. How you doing? What are you doing? What are we trying to make happen here? They made it a goal for the team. Even if the deep underlying goal is a, is a selfish one, let's say, the outer goal should not be that. It should not be, hey, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the ruler of this company. I'm going to be. No. We don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Like when you, you know, you know I mean, just take all, oh, I want to be the president of the United States. <laughs> who, who wants that person to be president of the United States? I, I sure don't. Yeah. I don't want that person to be president of the United States. Mm-hmm. If someone says, um, I'm going to be the CEO of this company. Yeah. Now, what do you think of that? You think, okay, so this person's ego is really, really big. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, you know what? That, I, I don't like that. You yeah. need to put that. So if that's your attitude mm-hmm. and you think you're being fired up, Keep that goal internal. Yeah. Don't be announcing that goal. Even though it's state your goals and let the world know you're here. No. <laughs> because you sound like an egomaniac. Yeah. What you should say is like, you know what I want to do with this company? I want to help this company grow the best I can. And you know what's important to me about being in a leadership position? What's important to me about being in a leadership position is making sure that the people underneath me they get better and they reach their goals. This isn't about me. Mm-hmm. This is about the people that are on my team and I want to make them successful. Now, who wants to work for that person? I do. Sign me up. Yeah, me but when I say, "Hey boss, nice to, nice to meet you. What's your, you know, what what's your goal here at the company?" My goal is to be CEO. <laughs> yeah. To be okay, the boss. So you're going to step on my back to get there. Sounds like fun. Yeah. So don't sign me up for that guy. <laughs> I don't want to work with that person. Yeah. I want to work with somebody that's about the team. Yeah. And I don't want to work with somebody that's going to be abusive, just like I don't want to train at anybody's jiu-jitsu academy that's going to have that abusive mentality. Yeah. And they're out there. Yeah. So I wanted to tie that back into I, the business I, world. I'm the instructor. I'm the instructor. I'm your instructor. You don't go no It's place. like uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You know, bow to your sensei. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, they yeah. they make fun of that, and it's funny, yeah. and and there's I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's a lot of tradition in jujitsu as well. You know, you bow to your instructor, you bow yeah. when you come on and off the mat. Yeah, that's different. I'm not super into that stuff. You know what I mean? I'm laid back. Right. You know, I'm I'm pretty laid back when it comes to the jujitsu traditions. Yeah, most of the bowing to the instructor in jujitsu is more like bow. It's like bow to jujitsu almost, like and not bow like bow down. It's more. It's like show respect. Like if you go to even more traditional schools. Mm-hmm. 
um, even when Morongo was teaching at our, at our school, yeah. you, you know, you bow to all the instructors because they're the ones providing the jujitsu. Sure. And then you bow to Helio Gracie. Because he's the one who kind of provide, you know, so it's more about the jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. Not like bow to your sense. It's, yeah. It doesn't have that feel. And you got to make sure that you're not getting that crossover yeah. where it goes from, hey, bow to jujitsu and play, pay respect to a beautiful thing yeah. to bow to me. Yes, exactly. And it's the same thing in the business world. If you're saying, look, there's nothing wrong with treating your CEO with respect and your CEO should be treated with respect or your boss, you treat your boss res- with respect, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, hey boss, what do you need me to do? Hey, hey, sir, in the military, you know you call the senior officers, sir. There, there's, there's nothing, you don't, shouldn't feel degraded by doing that, but if, for instance, in the military, if it's like, hey, you call me sir, you, you know, okay, yeah, I see what yeah. I'm dealing with here. In the, in the business world, if people are you know if you as an individual are thinking you better show me the respect i deserve, I deserve. you got issues <laughs> yeah, you got issues you yeah. got to earn that respect if yeah. someone's not giving you respect don't don't look at them and demand it yeah look at yourself yeah. and demand that you become a better leader where they give you the respect not because you asked for it but yeah. because you deserved it yeah yeah there's a big difference. That's funny, man. Give me the respect I deserve. Give me the respect I most deserve. Most of the time, most, not all the time, most of the time when someone says, give me the respect I de- deserve, it's when they are being given the respect they deserve, which is probably not that Most much. of the time when people are be- saying, give me the respect I deserve, they don't deserve the respect that's they're what, asking that's for. That's what I mean, yeah. They need to get their head together. Awesome. What, do we got time for one more? Last one. Jocko. I have had a few rough months, some setbacks at work that hurt me financially, which has stressed out my family. I'm late on some payments. I'm falling further behind at work. I don't want to tap out, but I just don't know where to start. Well, you know what? That's that's just kind of the way that life works sometimes. It's It's Murphy's Law. When things go wrong, they always seem to happen at once and they just compound on top of each other. And it's, it's pretty easy sometimes to, to feel beaten when you're faced with all those issues and all those problems and they all hit you at the same time. But let me tell you, that, that doesn't mean give up in fact it means the opposite it means it's time for you to fight harder to dig in it means it's time for you to go on the war path and that starts with one of the fundamental laws of combat leadership prioritize and execute what's the biggest problem What's causing the most stress? Family? Okay. Sit them down. Explain where you are at. Be blunt. Be upfront. And then give them the simple plan of how you're going to get things back on track. Don't sugarcoat it. You give it to them straight. Next, you got some, some late payments. Call those creditors up. Explain to them what's going on. Set up some kind of a of a of a minimum payment plan. 
so you can start making some progress and get them off your back. And then you got your job, right? You're falling behind at work. Okay, talk to your boss. Face it. Tell him that you're going to step up your game. Tell him you're going to be at work early. You're going to be at work late. You're going to be at work during lunch. You're going to be wherever you need to be whenever he needs you to be there. Tell him you're going to get after it. And tell him that you're 100% committed to supporting him and the company and the mission. And then you get started. And I'm going to tell you right now, it won't be easy. It will be hard because life is hard. That's what life is. And these challenges, these challenges that you face, they're going to do their best to take you down. Do not let them stand up, dig in, line up those problems and confront them, face them, fight them. Do not let them bring you down. In fact, in fact, let those challenges raise you up. Let them elevate you. Let their demands and their trials make you stronger. Let the adversity you face today turn you into a better person tomorrow. So, so in the future, you look back at these struggles and you say to them, thank you. You made me better. And I think that's all I've got for tonight. So, Echo, let's close it on out. How can everyone get on board with the program here and and support uh, the little podcast we got going? Enforcements. Not reinforcements. Enforcements. Yes. yes. So indeed. A few ways. Uh, first, on top of supporting this podcast, you're gonna want to support yourself. I think. Supplementation. We always talk about this. I know. I know. Um. Anyway, on it has the best supplements. We all know this. Krill oil. Got my krill oil <laughs> in. Echoes in the game. Actually, I'm what I'm staying on it every month. Anyway. So on it, on it.com slash Jocko, 10% off. So supplement your wallet as well. So the krill oil, that's for your joints. Warrior bars as well. I think that one's a good one. Shroom tech. Yeah. Little shroom tech. Shroom tech is kind of, okay, so. Victor was talking about, he's like, I, I'm on shroom tech today. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. all fired up. Yeah, so tell me what you think about this. So, I used to take shroom tech all the time and be like, and I felt, and I felt like it kind of gave me an advantage because mm-hmm. you know how cardio conditioning stuff is a tool in jujitsu or can be if you use it. Do you think that's an advantage? Do I think cardio is an advantage? Oh, so do you what think you're taking saying shroom is, tech is like, oh, he took shroom tech doesn't count. 
Because okay. I took Shroom there's, Tech and tapped out someone who I don't tap out. There's like, there's two ways to look at that. Well, I'll tell you what. Shroom Tech is really good. Shroom yeah. Tech did not make you tap out the person <laughs> that you tapped out. But indirectly, it could have. You okay. know what I mean? So I guess, I guess the answer to this would be, since you were able with Shroom Tech to do more, it's pushing you harder so you're stepping up your game overall. Right. Yeah, I'm allowed to train better. Because you can train harder because of your Shroom Tech. Yeah. So it is, as far as I'm concerned, permissible to do that because you're just trying to get yourself better and Shroom right. Tech helps you do that. Yeah. Now so. you might have to, you know, give a caveat, put a little asterisk yeah, next yeah. to your tap out. I was on the Shroom Tech, so it's, does it, you know. Quite there. It's, that's like a wind. Eight, you and know, today you when wind. we got done training, I was like, you know, I didn't take any Shroom Tech today. <laughs> so maybe, you know, and you were like, I neither did I. And so yep. I said, okay, it was a level playing field. Even Steven, yeah. yeah. The, the, um, it's like when you run the 100 meter dash in the wind if the mm-hmm. str- there's a strong wind, mm-hmm. like you'll you'll get the record, but there's a star there. Astro says wind aided record. Oh, really? It says wind aided. Yeah, still your record, but it's wind aided, so everyone oh, knows that. Yeah, they try and do you like so, that. So yeah, when you're when you get your shroom tech and you set your PR in you know in like you know a wad or something like this, you got to put the star there. It's like yes, yeah, my PR, man. but I, I was on know. the shroom tech. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Probably, you don't have to do. That. I wouldn't do that. Maybe, maybe. I, would. I don't know. But you might. Anyway, nonetheless, Shroom Tech Sport, though. There's mm-hmm. two. There's Shroom Tech. Um, what's the other one? So there's Shroom Tech something else. I'm talking about the sport. Oh, it's They're Shroom both Tech dope. Immune. Yes, yes, yes. Immu- immune. Yeah, luckily, I, I take the sport. Been, yeah, luckily I haven't immune. had to take the immune, yeah. But no, that's for general immunity, right? That's oh, okay. to boost the thing. But anyway, um, that one probably not a P performance enhancing supplement. Maybe it is okay. indirectly. Anyway, on it, uh, it's they're from on it. Get 10% off. On it, com slash Jocko. Take the alpha brain to think a little better. Like it makes you think. It's proven, by the way. That's saying a lot. It's legitimately proven. Yeah. Not like the 19%. The 19% proven. is pretty legitimately proven Bro, okay. as far as I know. So Cole Miller. Cole Miller. UFC fighter. Mike Best. I mean. He, I got an email today. Got his rash guard. Uh, you know, he, he just started jujitsu. Like, you know, a lot of us have been. And. So he emails me and says, I was going to bring the email and read it. It's mm-hmm. like short. So he's like, um, he's like, hey, man, I, I, I tapped out my jiu-jitsu journey. Going awesome. Uh, I tapped out my first blue belt today. Dang. And he said, guess what I was wearing? <laughs> he said, I'm not going to attribute it to the rash guard. Specifically. But let's, let's face it. It was the rash guard. Okay, so <laughs> that being said, we, there's some trooper rash guards on jockostore.com. I redid the website, by the way. The, not much in effect. It's just kind of redone. Nonetheless, there's rash guards on there. They're cool. They improve your performance 19%. It, tech, I guess, I mean, apparently 19 to 35%. Mm-hmm. Really, that's the range. <laughs> Evidently. Anyway, cool rash guards. You can check those out. JockoStore.com. Uh, there's some shirts there, too. Was that you telling me that you saw someone with a shirt on? No, no, no. Nope. Victor. Victor was saying. Oh yeah, Something Victor. Victor was saying saw. he saw someone in the and wild. And that's the th- that's the thing when, we, and I said this before, of course. So you know, if you listen, you know that I try to put more than just the one layer on the shirt. It's kind of there's a bunch of inside stuff. Actually, that if you, you talking about the layers on the shirts is starting to become a thing. <laughs> I'm telling. No, I'm saying because it. You know why it's starting to become a thing? Because it because it, it is a thing. So but you're gonna have to like on some future shirt, you'd have to actually put the word layers. Yeah, layer, in the layer one. Yeah. yeah, that might be dope. Might be. Either way, he was Might saying how he recognized the shirt 
and when you see someone else wearing like you know they know well, yeah. you know so it's not like you see a quicksilver shirt no. and it's like hey i'm wearing quicksilver no too connection. hey look at that you know what i mean it's different it's There's way no different connection. this stuff you, you know if you listen you know you're like oh I, anyway <laughs> check them out if you like them go grab one you can support that way and force um and then amazon click through what that it does is anytime you shop on amazon just click through on our website jockopodcast.com um, or the store there's a little section there uh people can do a lot of christmas and holiday shopping yeah so if you really want to get your support on <laughs> get you support. in the game full speed <laughs> Do the what quick, I like about that Amazon. one is it doesn't cost anybody anything. It doesn't it's mm. it just supports the podcast yeah. while you're doing your normal stuff. So that's awesome it, mm-hmm. and it's appreciated. Yeah, man. I guess I mean the key there really is to remember to click through before mm-hmm. you go shop. That's it. Anyway, it's a good way to support the Amazon. So yeah, on the website again, you just click on the Amazon link before you do your shopping. Then boom, support actively, efficiently, solid. Um, and then of course subscribe. On the uh, on iTunes on the iTunes or Stitcher, and there's some other like Google kind of, Play is now yeah out. yeah Google yeah Play. Google Play, um, um, yeah that's a, good a bunch one. of those little podcast oh, yeah. apps. But yeah, be a subscriber, man. Mm-hmm. In the game, straight up. Write a review on uh, the maybe this is I don't know what this is. It's just one of those things. We are at like nine hundred something reviews. Oh yeah, yeah so yeah. of course I'm, I'm like, well, I want to do a thousand. Yeah, like, yeah, where's, yeah. You know, I'm gonna go home and write a hundred reviews tonight <laughs> myself and get to a thousand. <laughs> yeah, so we'll yeah. be a thousand, a thousand reviews. Yeah, what does that even mean? I know, bro. That's well, what what's good about say. it is it is it, if you wrote a review, I read it. I've read all the reviews that are on there, Dang. and it's cool because it's good feedback, and it lets us know that people are listening. And that they're in the game. Yeah. Which is cool. That is funny, though. And I want to get to 1,000 for no good <laughs> I reason. I know. That, that part's funny. Yeah. Is that is ego? no good reason. Is that ego, you think? Or maybe OCD or both. Because you know how, like, oh. you're like, hey, I don't, you know how, like, when you pump the gas, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm going to, f- I'm going to get, if you're not filling up, you're like, I'm going to get right on the $20 mark. And you oh, go, yeah. oh, it's like, the, it's a weird thing. Anyway, it's something like that. Um, You know how, like, people, they'll celebrate. Hey, I got to, you know, uh, a, a thousand subscribers or whatever you know people they'll celebrate and they'll post it and be like like why didn't you celebrate at like a thousand one or nine 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 well see when i get to a thousand i won't celebrate anything i'll be like i need to get to two thousand <laughs> okay. and it's not even anything i can stop from my own brain thinking it yeah. just thinks that way yeah so yeah so your thing is like different yeah just yeah. like it's a it's almost like a score and i go oh well right. what's my score right now right now it's 923 yeah I want my score to be a thousand. Why? I have no good reason. <laughs> and you, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm stupid. Yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. subscribe. Um, that that's how you can support and YouTube. Subscribe to that. You know, if you're down, if you're into YouTube and watching videos, um, subscribe to that. I think I'm gonna put out another one here pretty soon. Yeah, we hear that. Quite we a bit. are gonna put out another one. We hear that a lot. We I know. Hear that a lot. You know, hey, it kind of like the email list. You know how like oh that. Okay, I'll talk about it in a second. But you know, like the email list, we you sign up the, the insiders list. You mm-hmm. sign up and be like, "Hey, I'll send you, you know, some. We'll send you some stuff." I'm not gonna send you stuff every day. It's kind of like the YouTube. Hey, I'm gonna put more videos. Maybe not every week, but you know, there you're will playing, be more. You're more than hard zero. to get, basically. <laughs> is what I'm hearing. <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile, on my end. Yeah. People are like, "Hey, Jocko, keep making a podcast every week." I say, "Okay, cool, I'll do it." <laughs> Your end, you, they tell you, "Hey, Echo, can you make some more videos?" And you're like, "You know what? Yeah, yeah." They can, they can wait. No, damn, no. that's what—that's the artist in you. No, 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 that's not. That's the artist right there. 
Um, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, we'll do some more videos. How about, how about that? We are all sitting here uh, holding our breath there, Echo Charles, for you to make more yeah, videos. I see what you're doing. You guys are like stroking my ego, like, oh, <laughs> we're waiting for your next video, uh, whatever. Uh, and I'm, but I'm like, yes, they're waiting for my video. I'm going to put on the video, be like, yes, I want my video, guys. And he's like, no. Have you, ever made right, a video that, have you ever made a video that you got done and you said, I'm not even going to release this thing because it's too bad? Yes. I have a whole series. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> bro, Echo, I'm telling you. Echo's and we invested. Duds. Bro, it's, yeah, there's like, one of them's called, um, for people you find on Facebook and like Conan's in it. It's like the people who take, one of them is like the people who take pictures of um, themselves, but they want to act like they're taking a picture of something, you know, but oh. it's like, a, I don't know. It, it's like this thing and it just didn't come out good. Anyway, nonetheless. Yeah. I am very weary of these things. Yeah. Anyway. All so right. yeah, support that way. Uh, back to the store, Jocko store. Uh, there's some new stuff. Is it annoying to sit here and talk about like this stuff right here? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, if if I didn't have I, Debbie and everyone saying, hey, Echo, where's the girl stuff? Or, you know, and they're just like, all right, you know, like not saying this anything, is the thing. So just maybe so, just so I think about it, like I always think like, OK, we, we can probably cut this. You know, hey, let's just run through, you know, how to support the podcast. It should take three minutes. For some reason, it turns into a 15 minute conversation. Yeah. And I don't I don't it's I never intend to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when I listen to it, I actually laugh at most of it, and yeah. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Well, Maybe we should do like a two-hour podcast of what? us just talking about how to support the podcast because <laughs> it might be pretty funny. Because you're laughing well, right now, I was right. laughing a second ago, yeah. and maybe that'd be the greatest topic ever. Okay, so in that regard, I, I'm not saying this is proof, but this is evidence, and this happened more than once, by the way. So you know, a guy will order a shirt, and it's online, mm-hmm. so you can't try on the shirts. So mm-hmm. people will be like, hey, well, you know, what's the shirt size or whatever? And they'll say, hey, I need an, a bigger size. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, I, I forgot to change my address. Or something where, you know, they, they require another shirt. Yep. So there'd be times I'd be like, oh, I'll just send it to you. Like, it got lost in the mail mm-hmm. or whatever. I'll just send it. So I just send it. And they're like, no, no. I, I do. Oh, no, no. Here. This is what it was, too. And that happened before. But here's, here's a very specific one I'm thinking about where I sent apparently two shirts they got two shirts mm-hmm. they were supposed to get one they're supposed to get one okay yeah and they were like i got two shirts i'm keeping them tell me where to pay tell me like tell me tell me how i can pay because you can't go and click another you know it'll mm-hmm. go in the orders and he goes tell me where i can pay i was like no nah, keep the shirt that, that's all you you know give it to somebody and they're like i demand to pay <laughs> like part of the reason is to support this uh, the podcast you know yeah so and i'm kind of like dang there are enforcements out there who embrace the reinforcing. That's why I think that's why I think this is relevant. Well, yeah, well, I guess my point is is that whenever we're talking about this stuff, what should be a 30-second thing turns into a 15-minute thing like it's happening right now. You know, and <laughs> when I listen to the podcast and I'll start going, "Oh, here come the advertisements. I got to make a note to say shorten these down." Mm-hmm. And then I say, "Oh, you know what? That was actually funny as hell." <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm maybe I'm just ultra sensitive. Yeah, maybe just like the ritual thing. Mm, maybe dug in. So what were you saying? The store? Yeah, the store. So hey, there's there's some new stuffs. This is the first time where I'm saying it publicly, but there's hoodies and they're they're pretty cool. Yes, Apparently, that's what people have nice. been saying. You know, no, Jocko said nice. so good. I like them. Um, also, I I redid the patches where they're they're. FD, you know how JP last yep. week said federal dark earth? Mm-hmm. 
Apparently, it's flat, dark earth. Okay. Not to be confused with flat earth. Okay. That's people, when people think the earth is flat. Yeah, we don't want Eddie Bravo to get fired up about <laughs> the earth being flat. Does he think that? Uh, no. Is that I, one of his conspiracy things that he believes in? Uh, I don't think so, no. He believes in all kinds of crazy conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah, how do you know? How do you know? That? I don't, man. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue any of that stuff with Eddie Bravo. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I'll talk to Rubber Guard about it <laughs> with him. I don't want to talk about nothing else, man. No. There's that's too he's got too many facts and figures about stuff you know facts and figures about all kinds of conspiracy stuff mm. that i don't want to argue with it's, yeah it's I'll, i'm good with him being in that world <laughs> i don't want to enter that world i'm staying out of that world yeah you know why because i guess i'm too blind to see the reality yeah you're not <laughs> which woke. is okay i'm gonna stay blind all on good. that stuff <laughs> you're all good uh, but the so for, flat dark earth is a color okay. so we got it's the the official one where if you know you're is in it uniform, three is it two by three Two by three. Okay, sweet. Anyway, so let's come as far as the new stuff on JockoStore.com. Nice. So yeah, look at that. JockoStore.com, look at uh, the stuff on there. If you like it, go grab one. You can uh, enforce, reinforce, and support this podcast that way. Which is awesome. Yep. Appreciate it. You can also get some some Jocko White tea, which I've been drinking liberally all night long, and I'm feeling pretty good right now. How do you have some? Because uh, we're out. Yeah, well, so I got massive quantities. I'm, I actually told our supplier... I will never we will never run out of this again. How do we make that happen? Mm. And they told me how to make it happen. So it's gonna be back in Amazon directly and we will never run out of it again. That's my hope. Damn. Oh, I ordered hope. a lot of it. I ordered yeah. a lot of it. Because I didn't know that people were gonna be so into it. Mm. And th- then I realized because you know sometimes you're in a bubble. Yes. And you think something's really cool. Yep. And no one else does. I yeah. have been in that bubble many times in my life where I thought something was really cool. Yeah. And then I get outside the bubble and people don't think it's cool. Bro, my whole life. So I was under suspicion that this situation where I like this tea, this random tea, and then I got it tweaked to my specific liking. And I thought, well, okay, not only have I taken a random thing, yeah. and then I've tweaked it to be specifically what I like. I'm thinking to myself, like, what seven people in the world are going to dig this? Well, what I should have done was taken it and given it to a bunch of people and said, hey, is this, what do you think of this? It's and cool. they, because by the time we did that, we, we basically did that. And you realize that it, it tastes really, really good. It's a unique, flavorful taste. And I think that's like part one mm-hmm. is that it tastes really good. It doesn't taste like anything else. It's just got a very, it doesn't taste like a juice, it doesn't no. taste like a tea. What does it taste like? It just tastes like it. It tastes like what it tastes like, and it tastes good. And universally, universally, people go, oh, yeah, that's, that's that tastes great. It's just a universally good-tasting thing. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you get the microdose of caffeine. <laughs> just the microdose. So it's this thing that just comes in subsurface and just gives it to you, but mm-hmm. it doesn't override your normal senses. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you got the antioxidant thing, which for all I know... It's just just repairing and taking care of your body, right? <laughs> so you combine all those things together, and we got something very popular on our hands. And again, I thought that inside my bubble, I thought it was something inside my bubble was going to be yeah. popular. But now I realize that it's a very everybody loves the way it tastes, and everybody loves the way it makes you feel. Yeah. So what I got to do is order, you know, through the manufacturer, ordered a ton of it, and go online. Yeah, make <laughs> and, it and, and you know, some people also. Said, hey, you know what, Jocko, stuff costs too much, and it costs a lot because we got a high quality 
container to put it in. Mm-hmm. The tin, as it's known. Luxurious tin. The luxury, the luxurious <laughs> You know tin. what it was? Did it was you? deluxe. It was deluxe. 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 Uh, yeah, I knew I didn't say luxurious. Yeah, no, I, no. Did, I forgot to rewind that part. Mm-hmm. But the tin costs a lot of money to make. And so that's what it is. Well, when people said it was too expensive, I said, oh, okay, cool. I'll put it in a box also. So we got it coming in a box. Mm. You can still get it in the tin because you need at least a, a one tin, right? Oh, yeah. You got to have one. Multi-purpose tactical. Multi-purpose tin, tactical. And sure. you probably need a few of them in your house. Pens, check. Screws and nails, check. Mm-hmm. Um, you and tea itself, yeah, check. check. And then you're also, also going to be able to buy it in big box with a hundred count in there. So we're taking care of you on that end. <laughs> yeah. Good. Again, here I was. All I w- was wrote down to say was we have Jocko White tea. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Instead, yep. I talk about it for eight minutes. Yep. What is wrong with me? You got to. Well, and you know what? I think it's too much Jocko White tea has got me talking. <laughs> <laughs> got me mentally engaged yeah. at such a level that I need to just yeah. take it easy. It's called the positive feedback loop. Also, mm-hmm. we got a book, Extreme Ownership. It's about combat leadership. Therefore, it's about all leadership. Written by myself and my brother Leif Babin. And if you buy the audio version, it's read by myself and my brother Leif Babin. So you can check that out. It's also at Amazon. Appreciate it. Following that, if you happen to want to continue this little conversation that we're having right now, or you just want to get after it, on the interwebs that's cool you can do it we are there we're on twitter we're on instagram and you know that we had that facebookie echo <laughs> echo is at echo charles and i am at jocko willink and thanks to everybody for listening for joining us as we join you trying to figure out how to get better and to my brothers in arms in the military overseas hunting down evil and destroying it you all out there stay aggressive and stay ahead of the enemy and the police and law enforcement thanks for holding the line and fighting crime and the firefighters of course Thanks for your vigilance and your courage under actual fire. And the rest of you troopers out there listening, honing your skills, building buildings, creating creations, designing designs, developing developments, working on what you are working on. Thanks for your relentless pursuit of excellence and of growth and of progress. And most of all, thank you for getting after it. So until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.